You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. First of all, good news for people living in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that uh, murdering fugitive convict that was on the loose for two weeks has been caught. But for the rest of you or for any of you tired of me regularly hosting election deniers, insurrection deniers, climate change deniers, vax deniers, time travelers, fossil fuel lovers, alternative energy haters, Putin atrocity deniers, and Trump apologists, not to mention a flying saucer expert or two, your prayers or your atheistic wishes have been answered because returning to the microphone is my old friend, veteran radio, TV, and talk show host, who is now doing a terrific podcast, which we'll tell you about, the one and only Richard Bay. It is yes. great to see you, Richard. Uh, I am a sal- Salman <laughs> pronunciation <laughs> denier. I that, won't tell Mr. Rushdie. I, I, I have a, no, no, but that's the way you pronounce that it. Is, that is. It, that it is, is true. It is true. Right. And the way Salman pronounces it. Yeah, but that's his name. Well, I'm talking about the, fish. It's spelled the same way. You, He's you, named after a fish. You 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 think lox is smoked salmon? Listen, the L's there for a reason. What's that L doing there? Uh, Look, at a time when Salman Rushdie has been attacked, I think it would be disrespectful um, to everything that he represents to just start dropping that L. Okay. Uh, borrowing from Lerner and Lowe. Why can't Katsimides teach Murano how to speak? <laughs> Norwegians learn Norwegian. The Greeks are taught their Greek. I repeat after me. The salmon the- in Connecticut is eaten with great etiquette. The salmon in Connecticut is eaten with great etiquette. By George, I don't think he's got it. <laughs> the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. Oh, my God. He's not lazy. You're a disaster. <laughs> 
Uh, how are you? It's great to see you. Yeah, well, I'm good. I mean, it's good. It's great to be back in New York. Yeah, for people that don't know your uh, living history, you always grew up in New York, uh, spent a lot of years working in New York. Far Rockaway. Li- lived in uh, <laughs> Philadelphia for a time, yeah, worked in Philly. Yeah. These days, like a lot of New Yorkers, you're living in Florida. But unlike a lot of New Yorkers that make that transition from New York to Florida, never to never to come back, they burn their ships like uh, Hernando Cortez. You are back in New uh, York. Come frequently. back every every five six weeks. So, I'm back here. How does Florida I mean, life compare to New York life, it, as far as you're concerned? It's comfortable. It's banal. When I first got there, some guy said to me, "Don't let Florida become God's waiting room." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I've tried not to do that. It's just it's very comfortable there. But I mean, even in conversation, I was I was just telling you. You know, I had lunch with three or four different people this week. All of them interesting, all of them intelligent, all of them well-versed in politics and current events and and good people. I mean, in Florida, I meet people who, and this has happened quite a bit recently, who tell me that Michelle Obata, Obama is a transsexual. Uh, you know, and, I, I've what? been hearing that more and more from callers and I stuff. Came back, I don't know where the, I, I said, where did the two kids come from? I came back from New York and I went to get my mail and a woman was there and we started talking and she said, oh, you sound interesting. What did you do? And I told her I did political talk radio. And she said, oh, I, I love that blonde woman who outed Michelle Obama. She meant uh, Ann Coulter. So I think. Did it, is it I don't know. a I don't Michelle know. Obama that, gender denier? Said. So she says to me, um, I, I, so I said to her, what do you mean she outed Michelle Obama? She goes, well, everybody knows she's a transsexual. Uh, and I said, you're joking, right? I mean, I, I read her book, and it, it, it covers her childhood where she had girlfriends College, her best friend passed away while she was in college. She has two kids. I mean, it is so deep. How how could you believe that? It's amazing. It's absolutely but that's amazing. Florida. And you know the the corollary conspiracy theory to that. Now, have you heard that one? No. What's it's that, that uh, Joan Rivers was actually killed by the Obamas because right. she made a joke about. Or she exposed the fact that Michelle Obama was yeah, actually a man. The corollary theory is the one that... People they, do say that, though. Yeah, yeah, but joking. this is the corollary theory, is that Obama was gay and uh, did cocaine with a gay hustler in the back of a car. There's some guy that claims this happened. And actually, in a letter, this is true, he wrote to a girlfriend when he was in college. He said, sometimes uh, when I fantasize or I... I fantasize about uh, gay sex, sex with men. So, yeah, but again, uh, who cares? I mean, it, uh, it makes right. no difference to, to me. I mean, if we're going to look at uh, every ex-president's sex life, all of a sudden the people at the James Buchanan Presidential Lab- Library are going to be having a tough time. Um, you know, I do wonder, though, about the the weather with respect to Florida. Last week it was very oppressively hot in New York, and my it, wife it even said hotter to me— than, It was hotter here than it was in Florida. But it, it, summers in, the, in Florida have got to be really rough in terms uh, of the heat. Well, the thing is this— I have a gigantic swimming pool ah, right outside okay. my door. So it and I run in the mornings, and that's the thing about New York that um, that makes me stop and be a little trepidatious about coming back here is that I am now an older man, mm. and I have to be concerned about my health, my weight, my 
uh, my exercise, you know. And it's difficult. I mean, you do get a lot of exercise in New York coming up and down the steps. and uh, and But to wake up and be able to go for a swim for 45, 50 minutes in the morning and then feel great. And then we have a gym right there, right next to me. And that's great. I, I run, you know, when it's, when it's cool enough in the morning. So, and there's a, a hell of a lot of stress to living here, but I love coming here. I mean, I've saw, I saw three wonderful productions, actually two wonderful one and one. Eh, it's all right. Uh, last night, I, the New York Philharmonic was playing the complete Leonard Bernstein score to West Side Story with the film where they ripped out the music score. Uh, you, they still have the character speaking and the, and the sound effects and whatever, and they have uh, underneath. I mean, it doesn't sound like it would be that incredible, but it was. Really? I mean, when, when I watched this, there were so many things that I realized about the music. You know, when you see an opera, it's not the character, it's not the narrative, it's the grandeur of the music and the emotional um, content of the music. So this was the Spielberg West Side Story. And when I first saw it, there were some things in it that I thought were sort of sappy, like uh, Rita Marino singing somewhere and the, the the two kids in the cloisters. But last night, there was no sappiness because the music that was so real. Um, and America, when the, when the New York Philharmonic played the real music to America and the guy on the trumpet went just went crazy on the trumpet – you felt like you were actually right. out on the street there with these people. When the police cars pulled up, the timpani go, boom, 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 and you can feel it reverberating in your body. It, it's only playing one more night, and that's tomorrow. And I would suggest if 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 this sounds like salesmanship, I mean, it's, it's well worth seeing. That, that's uh, good to know. That's at the New York Philharmonic. Philharmonic. That's, uh, that's something. I wonder why they use the Spielberg remake Rather than the the original, I don't know. I can't give you an answer to that. But it but really, it works. But it, oh, it it works fantastically. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you about somebody that's no longer working. That is Luis Rubiales, who it was uh, Spain's top soccer official. Well, you know how I feel. Well, about well no, this. I don't. You're I, setting I, it up. See, I don't. Be, well, first of all, let me repeat the story for people that don't know it. But you you know what? Every time I think you're going to go one way, one way, one way. Sometimes you go the other way. You throw a curveball once in a while. That's what makes your podcast well, so I'm interesting. Not, I'm not a doctrinaire. No, I know. I, I know, I know. Hey, look, uh, uh, Ross Perot supporter, Ralph Nader supporter, Rick yeah. Lazio supporter. I think you're with a, a lot of the audience I even in terms voted of being for an iconoclast. <laughs> I, I, even Elizabeth Dole doesn't admit to voting for Bob Dole. All right, uh, Luis Rubiales was Spain's top soccer official. He had a, a great job, was being paid $734,000 a year. The head of the Spanish Soccer Federation, he resigned on Sunday weeks after kissing a member of Spain's women's oh. teams on the lips yeah, after yeah, yeah. the team won the World Cup last month, setting off literally an international scandal and drawing accusations of abusing his power, accusations of perpetuating sexism. Give me your view of the whole situation. Well, first of all, when you see something in print, it's one thing. When you actually look at it, you look at what happened. First of all, they won this title. Nobody right. expected them right. to win it. Huge. They were exuberant. They were celebrating. The queen was hugging the women. This particular player 
was on the, the uh, stage with Rubiales, clasped him close to her and lifted him off the ground right before this and then put him down. And it was an, this kiss had nothing to do with sex. It was an exultant moment of triumph. And he did kiss her for a microsecond. I mean, you wouldn't, it, 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 it couldn't give even a, a flea an erection. It was, there was nothing, there was nothing sexual. This was like, and, and do you want to know something? As I did the research, I looked back and I found two male players on Manchester United. One of them created an incredible goal that saved the game. The other male player went up to him, grabbed him in the same way and kissed him on the mouth, on the mouth. When Sevilla, which is another uh, uh, soccer team, when they won the Europa Cup, a, a male player walked up to the other player who had the cup and he grabbed him and kissed him on the lips. This thing had, and the soccer, uh, uh, the federation official, he apologized when this first happened. The, see, you just read, she says, oh, I didn't like it immediately afterwards. And that is true. But what they don't say when you read the print is that she was laughing when she said it. She said, <laughs> I, don't, I didn't like it. And she was laughing. Later on, she went on a radio show right after this happened, and they asked her about it. And she said, and this is before anybody could get to her. It was right at that moment. She said, listen, it was, an, it was a moment of, uh, of emotional exuberance. She said it was really nothing. And believe me, nothing will be made out of this. But, of course, the movement itself wants to make something out of this. Uh, the, the soccer teams, uh, 15 players on the soccer team, had gone on strike before this because they thought the coach was too authoritarian. They thought he was tough in the way he was training them. He wouldn't take their advice on how to play the game on the field. And probably this guy, you know what coaches are like. Oh, yeah. Right. You don't go up to the coach and say, hey, I don't think this play is right. right. Exactly. You know, but they didn't like this guy. And 15 of them went on strike. Some of them came back and they wanted to get rid of this coach. But Ruby Alice stood up for the coach. Well, that coach was fired the first before Ruby Alice resigned and replaced with a woman. So you think the kind of the Me Too equivalent, whatever the whatever it's called in Spain, they sort of ginned up this player. Oh, the uh, two of the ministers called this a sexual assault. What I would tell everybody: go watch the videotape, and then go watch the pictures of her. She she touched him without. She didn't say, "Oh, excuse me, sir, can I touch you?" Do you know in the olden days before all of this? When I ate at a friend's house and his mother cooked us dinner and she showed us uh, uh, hospitality, and when I would leave, I would lean over and kiss her. I, there's an older couple. I used to stay On with the them. lips? Uh, no, on the okay. cheek. On the lips is a different ball game than on the cheek. Yeah, but, but when you're exuberant, you know, what, uh, do, agreed. what do agreed. people say? What do, what do people say when they're really... Um, I'm so happy with you, I could give you a kiss. I could... No. Right. I want. I could kiss you on the right. lips. Right. They don't say, right. I could kiss you on the cheek. <laughs> and yeah. even so, all right, if these are the new rules, well, watch that tape. There's nothing sexual in this. The Spanish prosecutors even opened a, a sexual assault case. Apparently. That's what I'm saying. That's, I agree that this is overkill, but a lot of the folks... 
uh, and I don't think he should have been fired. But a lot of the folks that uh, that w- have watched this and gotten upset about this, they say women in Spain are subjected to that may be true. men kissing them all the time. That may unwanted. be true. And there is uh, sexism in sports. There's, you know, the female soccer players should get as much money as the male soccer players if they're pulling in that audience. I mean, there is sexism in the country. But like everything, the French Revolution was great. It overthrew the king. It, it tried to distribute more of the economy to the, uh, to the peasants. But how did it end up? With that's people's right. heads in the guillotine, <laughs> yeah, right? That's how, right? And that's what this is like. The, the, the Me Too movement has great purpose to it. Uh, but now they're just looking for heads, whether it's Al Franken. Some of these people, I mean, of course, Weinstein, there's no problem. Matt Lauer, uh, Charlie Rose, some of these things, though, just go just looking for a head to put oh, in the guillotine. No question about it. I, I mean, I spent. I don't want to go down this path because it's a complicated case, but I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about this Danny Masterson case. I think he might have even gotten a raw deal in, well, in that case. 30 years to life? I, I 20 do. years for, after the incident? Well, uh, after someone who had been insisting that this incident was consensual for 16 years. And there were well. all three of them members of a cult. Right. And uh, he was all, all three of them got to make victim impact statements, even though only two Two of them, he was found convicted of, of right, raping. But right. so I agree with you; it's gone a little too far. And now people are, want a boycott of uh, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher because this is a guy. This was their friend that they stood I, up I for. I know it's it's they crazy. They didn't say, it's "Oh, crazy. he's innocent. Yeah. Let him off, please, it, judge." It, it is great. And what's even crazier is uh, I understand prosecutors in New York they're looking for that uh, sailor after World War II that kissed somebody in the middle of Times Square. They're going to try and charge well, him was, now. That too. That was not a sexual kiss. No, of course not. That of was a not. kiss of exuberance. And uh, you know, you, you're 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 sharing with somebody the elation of a great victory, which is just what this was for the. Uh, Do the you soccer see? Team. You know, one of the things that I, I when I talk to men and women alike, young and old, is they all seem to agree that um, maybe things have gone a little too far. Duh. And, and, and I'm wondering, do you see things kind of? rubber banding back no, the other way. No. No, it's going the other way. I'm really? the contrarian on this. I'm the I'm the uh, what do you call it? The the masculine pig. I'm the anti Barbie, you know. <laughs> but I actually liked Barbie. We'll ask you about that in uh, in a second. It's gonna be interesting to see where this goes because I agree look, I'm no great fan of Andrew Cuomo for his conduct as governor, but I think he got a Totally raw. And deal what about Al Franken? In term- oh wow, that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I don't think he you did agree anything. with me. Of course, of course. I mean, <laughs> and you know shame what on did Kirst- him in? Kirsten Gillibrand and Kamala Harris, yeah, exactly, and now, Susan Collins. Uh, now it's uh, it, it's really uh, egregious. All right, uh, we're going to continue with Richard Bay. If you if you want to hear more of Richard's commentary, not only on this issue but just about every issue in the world, yes, call up and call a- me a sexist. Well, but pig. check out his podcast. It's on YouTube. It's r- wherever podcasts are available. Richard. Bay Talk, B-E-Y. Hit the subscribe button. I always get excited when I get the notification that there's a new episode ready. You will too because it's really interesting. They cover a lot of news in a short amount of time in a very entertaining way. There's also some great old television clips and a couple of old radio clips. We're going to talk about that a little bit as well. If you want to call in and comment on anything we're talking about, you can do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. My guest is Richard Bay. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. That's right. For a while, New York area radio listeners knew that uh, this song was the beginning of a nightly exposition of world affairs and sometimes uh, audio crossfire on meth. Uh, I I used to call it... Curtis and Kuby for adults. Like that. That's not bad. <laughs> Richard Bay is my guest. He was the co-host of uh, The Buzz with Malsberg and Bay on uh, WABC back in the day. Obviously, the Malsberg portion of that was uh, was Steve Malsberg. I-, I know you probably get this question r- regularly. You keep in touch with Steve at all anymore? I uh, haven't heard from him in ages, although I did look him up uh, the other day, and he's he's working on some kind of a network that comes out of London. And, you know, he was working for RT. Right. right working right, right, for right. the Ruskies. Right. This <laughs> is Mr. American patriotism went and uh, and uh, and and he was Putin's uh, propagandist for a while. Yeah, I invited him on this program a couple of times, but he didn't want to come on. But uh, neither here nor there. Hey, since the last time you were here, we're also now airing in uh, Detroit, a WFDF in Detroit. You know anything about Detroit? Well, I I know that uh, my show aired there, the Richard Bay Show, and that it was a big market for us. Any special Detroit insight you can uh, enlighten us with? Detroit? Well, I mean, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. There you go. It's a great (laughs) Golly, Miss Molly. Um, I want to ask you about somebody that you had a brief interaction with, I guess about uh, 10 years ago, a little more, and that is the senator from Utah, Willard Mitt Romney, announcing he is not running for re-election. This is what he said yesterday. I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term... I'd be in my mid-80s. Frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders. They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. I know you were in line at a greasy spoon no, yeah, one time. I was in a bodega Romney. on 55th Street uh, downstairs. And um, I look on this line, and I, I can't believe it. It's Mitt Romney standing in line. And Ann Romney is standing next to him, and nobody's saying anything. There's no Secret Service. He was, at that point, I think he was in the primaries, and he right. was running. Right, he became the nominee that year. So I, I came up, and uh, I said to him, uh, I said, uh, Mr. Romney, I said, uh, it, I said, you're Mitt Romney, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, people tell me that. <laughs> I, I don't think he wanted to be recognized. And I said, but you are Mitt Romney. I said, wait till I tell people about this on the radio. 
So as soon as they heard that I was a radio talk show host, I think they assumed that I was a conservative radio talk show host. And Anne, uh, Anne said, oh, thank you for the good work. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't and, think she'd be saying that to you these days. He's kind of a villain in talk radio circles. These and then, days. right, right. But, you know, back then, even Rush came around right. to him. So I said, well, President Obama was just here for the lighting of the Christmas tree. I said, and the traffic snarled up the whole city. People were complaining <clears throat> about uh, <clears throat> about his visit and what it did to the streets. And Mitt, Mitt Romney said, well, I said, uh, well, maybe, uh, maybe then we'll have a chance in New York. And I said, even with that, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you oh, wait a second. Right. So this is the kicker. I forgot. I, how could I go on without saying this? So they left. And I turned around and I went to the people, behind, the, the guys behind the counter, and I said, that was Mitt Romney. Okay, eh? pasa, you know, whatever. Then I turned around to the tables and I said, Mitt Romney was just here. That was Mitt Romney. Not one person in the place. That's knew who incredible. He was. This is wild. the year he ran for president and became right. the Republican nominee. That is wild and very telling about maybe why he <laughs> didn't necessarily win. What did you make of that uh, point that he made that it's time for a new generation of his of leaders? He's in his mid to late seventies now, younger than both Biden and Trump. Right. There's speculation that he may hook up with this no labels group and be part of a third party I ticket. I don't. Uh, so do that. I. I don't. I don't see that. <clears throat> I but, think he's just tired of politics and wants to enjoy his grandkids and his wife, probably. I also think, just like when he didn't run for re-election as governor of Massachusetts, that yeah. he knew that he couldn't get re-elected. I, I think that's a well, big part of Well, you know, he would probably be the best candidate no labels could have, I think. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean... Unless what, you're a candidate, general, well, general, whoever. Well, But what did you make of what, uh, what he said there about him being too old? I mean, that's been one of the rubs against both... Biden and Trump and a lot of our listeners. And Grassley. Yeah. And I think people are trying to make a point. I think one of the reasons Nancy Pelosi is running again is to just make the point. I'm 83. I'm older than Biden and I'm going to come back in and uh, stay in the race. So I think at this point, and I think Mitt Romney's making a point here too, uh, uh, you know, about this. Uh, of course, he just came. Well, right what's your there. opinion? Do you think um, 78 I think, and 82 do I think is too old, too old to run for president? I think Biden's too old. Trump is too dangerous. I think DeSantis is more dangerous. Um, I I mean, listen, as as um, Donald Rumsfeld said, uh, you don't go into battle with the army you want. You go into battle with the army yeah, you this have. This is true. But I'll tell you this. I wouldn't be unhappy if Joe Biden decided, you know, to step down and open the field, I'd, I'm certainly not a big fan uh, of having Kamala well, Harris. Every run, Democrat but, that I know, uh, yeah. friends, family, colleagues, person on the street, they basically all say the same yeah, thing. Yeah, we all say the same thing. But when push comes to shove, shove for all of us, it's going to be Biden over Trump. Oh, yeah, I'm sure or that's Biden true. over uh, or over DeSantis. Well, I mean, DeSantis, do you see his candidacy as still being viable? I mean, to me, if it something looks like... happens to Trump, you know, even at 14 percent, he's he's the next guy. It's going to be interesting. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Richard Bay is here. Rocco's in Saratoga. What's on your mind, Rocco? Hello. Enjoy Richard's uh, podcast quite a bit. Oh, Richard, thank you. Thank you. Great work. Keep it up. Enjoyable. Uh, so let me uh, ask you, it, it's 
if I initiate a kiss, it's a no-no. But if a woman initiates and kisses me, that's acceptable? Uh, yeah. That's I, part of the hypocrisy of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I, that's happened to me. I, I'm not saying I'm a great-looking guy, but I've been kissed by 80-year-old women more sure. than I can speak of. Well, you know, and we know. I've never it, said, uh-oh, uh-oh, stop, stop, that you're sexually harassing me. Hey, listen, in I Australia, they have some kind of minister about sexual equality. and Of she, course they do. She cautioned, she said that um, men should not kiss, grandparents should not kiss kiss. Oh. Their, no gra- way. their granddaughters. Oh my goodness! That, the, the, the that world, was the world's gone. That crazy. was teaching young girls the wrong lesson. Yeah, the world has absolutely gone crazy. <clears throat> a lot of listeners in the New York area uh, remember a lot of your role on September 11th. Not only calling into the morning show on WABC and the mid morning show as things were happening because you had such a distinct view of what was going on, but the commentary you read from a, a newspaper columnist, which your reading of. It sort of became viral in an era before anything was viral. And if people watch the most recent edition of the Richard Bay podcast, they can hear that reading, which is still very stirring and very emotional uh, years later. One of the things that doesn't often get talked about is a lot of the incredible mysteries involving September 11th. Yeah, nobody talks about it. Never. Never. Right? Um, One includes the very first person to die on September 11th. Daniel Lewin. Who was that? He was an Israeli-American billionaire. He was a guy who grew up in America. His family made Eliyahu to Israel. And uh, he joined, he was maybe drafted, but he was in the IDF. And he was an anti-terrorist commando in the Israeli Defense Force. Afterwards, he went to MIT and he started a business, and he became a billionaire. Married guy, two kids, terrible. He was the guy on the plane, the, uh, on on flight eleven, who was in seat nine B, and the stewardess called up the tower and said, "The passenger in ten B just slit the throat of the passenger in nine B," and that happened just a few minutes after nine. He was the first person murdered. One can only assume that considering that he was an anti-terrorist commando trained as Mm -hmm. such, that he stood up and tried to do something, not knowing that sitting right behind him was a terrorist with a box cutter. So he's the first guy. And yet nobody – we know Todd Beamer, and I don't mean to take anything from Todd Beamer, but nobody nobody remembers – Daniel Lewin. I don't know that there's anything named for him or anything. I never hear him. They have any a few special... plaques somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I, I have a suspicion, and please, it's not part of a conspiracy. I think that Israel does not want in any way to be connected to 9-11. And even in this way, even in the fact that the first hero of 9-11 was, Israeli. was an Israeli-American, yeah. That's not the only mystery that never gets talked about on September 11th, sure, though. Sure. Uh, you know, the, uh, Muhammad Atta and a second hijacker actually drove to Portland the day before Flight 11 was leaving Boston. Now, I mean, what? Isn't that crazy? And that second hijacker, he was the one that killed Daniel Lewin. Mm-hmm. He was the one that was in the seat behind him. They took a, they rented a car. They drove to Portland. They went to a Domino's Pizza. They went to a Walmart. And the next morning, they went to this small 
you know, local airport to take a flight back to Boston to get on flight 11. And when they did, they came up to the security. You know what I don't remember? I didn't even remember that we used to go through metal detectors in those days. But the metal detectors in those days were calibrated uh, to something that would have to be the size of a gun. So Muhammad Atta went through this, and he went to the guy at the gate, and he said, I want to check through, a check through to Flight 11. And the guy says, no, no, you're going to have to go through security again in Boston. And the, the, uh, the security guy at the airport said, he looked at me, he clenched his jaw, and it, it looked like he was going to start screaming and yelling at me eh? because he said, no, check through, check through, check through. And he got on the plane. But does that make any sense? They could have missed that fl- that flight, 11 in Boston. There was only an hour between the time that they landed and the, you know, and the flight and flight 11 <sighs> taking off. And, and I'm sure they didn't wake up in the middle of the night. And Muhammad Atta said, I feel like a Domino's. Let's drive to Portland. <laughs> what the hell was that about? I, I, and I, have, we've never gotten any sort of an answer on that, right? No, no. Uh, that- there's, there's some theories. He wanted a test to see if he was being uh, uh, followed by the CIA or the FBI and check behind him. And who knows? One of the things that I've talked about uh, quite a bit uh, to the uh, I'm sure the boredom of some in the audience is the Saudi role in September 11th. And still the fact that doesn't matter who's president, Democrat or Republican, they can't fall over themselves fast enough to do whatever the Saudis want. Crazy. what do we know about the the Saudis that were mysteriously whisked out of the country? One hundred and forty Saudis, including members of the Bin Laden family. The FBI wanted to interrogate a good deal, a good number of them, and you got to remember this was the probably the first time since the Wright brothers that there wasn't a plane in the sky anywhere. Over America. Al Gore was in Austria. He couldn't even get back to the United States. He wanted to because all flights were grounded, remember? And yet the Saudis were able, 140 of them were able to take off and return to Saudi Arabia. And nobody... Including bin Laden's. Including bin Laden's family. And we don't even know who okayed this flight. You know, there's never been... Somebody has never sat down and said, okay... Right. Why it was, was Joe? What was the assessment on this? You know, who, who, because planes were grounded. Who allowed these planes to take off? I mean, the FBI must have been really ticked off that this happened. You think? I, would, I never heard as they the should FBI be. complain about this. Right. It, it was, it was insane. And then, of course, there is the, um, the Fox News thing. Do you want to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me. Okay. So this happened because. Well, you know, you know who the first people arrested on 9-11 for connection with the... Uh, you know, I don't think I do, no. Five members of the Israeli Mossad. Really? Who were photographed on the, in Hoboken uh, on top of a van taking pictures of the burning towers. A woman looked out her window, called the police and said, there are five Middle Eastern men out here. And one of them is flicking a lighter like, it, like he's lighting it on himself. And... She had got the license plate, and she gave it to the police. And the police officer who stopped them, they were on Route 3, ready to go into the Lincoln Tunnel, and a police officer stopped them. And the, the driver of the van said, uh, uh, 
You have the wrong people. We are not your problem. The Palestinians are not your problem. We are not the problem. They were arrested. They were held by the FBI for two and a half months. The Jewish Forward newspaper identified them as Mossad agents. By the way, the, the editor of that uh, newspaper is coming on tomorrow, so people should oh. uh, check that out. Okay. And they supposedly they worked for a moving company in New Jersey called United Movers. So the FBI went there, spoke to what the Sucker was the guy's name. They went there to interview him and set up an interview uh, for a few days later. This moving company, and when they returned, the guy was gone. He fled back to Israel. Now, Brit Hume opened this uh, piece on Fox News. He said Carl Cameron has put together a four-part series about an extensive. Israeli spying operation in the United States. Now, this mostly had to do with the art students, the Israeli art Mm -hmm. students who were trying to get into different areas. And he said, federal investigators say there is absolutely no connection between, you know, the Israeli spies that were here and 9-11. But they said they do suspect that they might have had more information about the attack, uh, the attack, than they let U.S. officials know about. And here is Carl Cameron. I have it on my podcast Mm -hmm. if anybody wants to see it. And Carl Cameron begins the report. So it was a four-part report. The next three parts just disappeared, never aired. After the first part, they spiked the story and the other three didn't air. They spiked the story and the other three didn't air. Why? And nobody talks. I'm the guy that goes, nobody talk. I had Jennifer Flowers on with Bill I know, Clinton. Right? I'm the guy that said this WMD evidence, I'm telling you here, it's either fabricated or exaggerated or, 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 or just made up or taken out of context. There was no IAEA report. George Bush said, what more proof do you need? I'm the guy that looks at why do these stories get spiked? Hunter Biden's laptop is perhaps... The conservative uh, mm-hmm. mirror image of that. Uh, that Why? is fascinating. Uh, that is fascinating. You know, one thing it just kind of reminds me in talking about uh, the role of Muslims in America in 2001. A lot of people forget this, but George W. Bush won the Muslim vote in 2000. Certainly yeah. not the case in 2004. It was one of the rare presidential elections where both the Muslim community um, and then in 2004, obviously Kerry won the Muslim vote big time. And then this, you've had this kind of interesting relationship where Muslim voters and Jewish voters are voting for the same presidential candidates, mostly Democrats. What's happened lately is there a lot of Muslim activists are furious over the transgender curriculum in schools. In Maryland, where we're on in uh, WCBM in Baltimore. There you go. Um, The rain in Maryland (laughs) falls mainly on the plain. But uh, you're seeing (laughs) activists not only there, but in all sorts of areas of the country, really working hand-in-glove with social conservatives on school board elections and everywhere. You're not correct. Could the Muslims be the secret Republican weapon, at least in local elections going forward? In local elections, maybe. But I want to remind you of one more thing, too. Because I was on WABC, of course, on 9-11, you know. But I was on all that summer. And people forget. You know what the two big stories were that summer? Before that. 
Uh, Gary yeah, right. Condit. Gary Condit. Right. right. And with Chandra Levy. Who's Gondra? What happened to Gary Condit? Right. And, of course, in the fall, China. because right, the airplane. The airplane. And people were calling in saying, I'm boycotting Chinese restaurants. I'm boycotting, uh, um, what was it, Radio Shack because everything there is made in China. I said, don't you understand? If you, if you don't buy bok choy, it's not, it's not going right. to hurt, <laughs> you know, the, the People's Republic of China. If you go to that Radio Shack, there's a guy who makes his living off of selling that stuff. And if he doesn't get to sell it, then he's going to be unemployed. And everybody was talking about China, 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 and Gary Condit before. And then this comes out of left field. I'm glad we smartened up and started boycotting French fries and things like (laughs) that long before the days of uh, boycotting Bud Light. Hey, you mentioned um, the Barbie movie. I assume you saw both ends of the Barbenheimer extravaganza, both Barbie and and Oppenheimer. When you were on the radio, one of the things that I really enjoyed that you do with your your dad on the weekend show was Dick and Dad go to the movies. And um, obviously he's not around to be that portion of the film reviewer (laughs) anymore. What would you think of both films, both Oppenheimer well, and Barbie? I thought Oppenheimer was masterful. I am, I am really surprised, happily, that it's as popular and did as well as it did because it's not an easy movie to watch. It, it covers, what, four different or five different, four different decades, and it's in black and white sometimes, and then it's in color. It's also and, pretty long. And it's long, and there are so many no characters in right, it. Right, And I'm a big fan of... Um, of uh, Killian Murphy. I mean, I, I, Peaky Blinders is like... I haven't seen it, but I'm oh, told it's great. Oh uh, Robert God. Downey Jr. is terrific in that and picture, Robert too. And Robert Downey Jr. They were all terrific. And uh, Florence Pugh, when you see her naked, ah, I'm like, oh, here I am, sexist. Excuse me. <laughs> the male gaze, I'm not supposed to look. You know, that's another thing. But, yeah, so, I, I no, I thought that movie was, you know, was really uh, a masterpiece. And then Barbie, you said you liked I haven't seen Barbie yet. I liked three quarters of Barbie. Oh, okay. I thought it was right. clever up until they got to Ken. They didn't know what. So, so the men, this is the Ken image. They're jumping around on hobby horses and they're wearing chaps and they look like uh, the, one of the village people. <laughs> this is, and then they have this big dance number with, uh, you know, with Ryan Gosling and it looks like a, a gay chorus line, you know? And the, the Barbies, are at war with the Kens, and of course they win because the Kens are so stupid. It, it just did that part of it didn't make any sense. Uh, so was it entertaining enough to merit being worth seeing, though? Do you think, or no? Is it? Not? Yeah, yeah. I'd say three. Listen, uh, it was, and I think the very ending, you're expecting something to happen, and you're going, oh, no spoilers. No, spoilers. I'm not going to tell it. But something completely different happened. Okay, well, that's that's. And I just burst out laughing. I love that. All right, good. All right, by the way, are you caught up on uh, Only Murders in the Building I, this no, season? I don't have Hulu. Oh, so. okay. I'll give you my password. But I did see the first, what was it, two. Right. And they were great. I think this season's terrific as well. I, I just watched And the, I heard Merrill's in it. She, yeah, and she's true. That's your classmate yeah, from yeah, Yale, yeah, right? Yeah. All right, uh, Richard Bay is here. If you want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano here with Richard Bay. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. at midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight this is obviously the beatles and uh, if you used to listen to richard bay this would be the song that would come on right before he would warn you about letting the media matrix melt with your mind hopefully you took that warning to heart this was at the end of every uh, show i remember at the very end i remember and There's then i reason would go, we played it yeah you won't have dick bay to kick around anymore <laughs> <laughs> real real quick though richard you yeah. know you, there was so much great content that you created on the radio not only in wabc but even yeah, what on wwrl uh serious left a uh, number of other uh, entities including my favorite was a lot of these great song parodies which were so catchy I find your version of some of these song parodies better than the <laughs> Iraq, the the actual songs. I mean, Yankee Talibani. I'll listen to that over Yankee Doodle Dandy uh, every day. I mean, I'm a Yankee Talibani. <laughs> William Clinton, goodbye. I'll take that over over uh, Tootsie, goodbye. William Any Clinton, day. goodbye. <laughs> William Clinton, don't cry. But yeah. why aren't these uh, these parodies at the very least? But a lot of the other stuff that you've done. Why isn't it available online anywhere? Well, some of it is. You know, I did the WMD song, you know, to Trouble from uh, Music well, Man. Brilliant, brilliant. And I did a music video to that. And didn't I just... That's on... Where is that? That's on the I YouTube? Did, it, it's, no, it's on one of my... Yeah, it's on one of my podcasts. Gotcha, gotcha. But, it's, I mean, you used to have richardbay.org, right? Where there would be yeah, a lot of great sounds and stuff. it wasn't me. That stuff. was a kid from Texas who um, um, was a big fan of the Richard Bay show. And, uh, and uh, he's now a really... Far right Trump supporter. <laughs> oh, so he's not looking to. Uh, yeah, but he's a, he's a good kid, right. and he actually ran for to be the mayor of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Oh, well, I uh, so he was in Oklahoma or Texas. He's in Oklahoma. Okay, interesting. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Michael is in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Hey, what a terrific show! It's always enjoyable when uh, uh, Richard is on. Uh, Richard, please in private. Give Frank a lesson for maybe two hours in the use <laughs> of the English language. I don't mean with his Connecticut stuff, which is annoying. It's only mispronunciation is only more annoying than his self-serving bumper music. But give him a lesson in private. <laughs> I, about two I will. Hours I, I'm not sure I can how afford to use more interesting English words. The other thing is. I went to college with a guy by the name of Arnie Bay. 
His yeah. family, I think, was in oil. This goes back into the sixties. <laughs> Are you related to the uh, Arnie Bet? No, no the ba- I'm uh, not. Thank you, Michael, for the constructive no, criticism. But, I'm going to save up to hire. Richard but you know for what? Some when I elocution when, lessons. when when I I come back to New York, and it's funny because at Yale, I actually had speech lessons, and. Um, you know, uh, uh, there was a guy in my class who had a southern accent, and the teacher was like, what do you have in your right hand? A pin. What do you have in your left hand? A pin. One of them was a pen. And, oh, that's funny. And with me, it still creeps back in when I'm in New York. I say uh, coffee, car, um, uh, chocolate. Yesterday. That's a big one. Every, I find my – I still say it. I say it even when I was on the radio. Yesterday. I like I, yesterday. I, I like did that, that yesterday. Um, what else have you seen while you've been in New York in terms of oh, uh, plays that people should either right. must see or must miss? I right. know people are going to get angry if we don't get to that. Okay. Well, one of them was The Shark is Broken. Uh, the Shark is Broken is about the making of the movie Jaws. And the shark kept breaking down. So the three actors were off of Martha's Vineyard on this little tiny boat. And it's Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Roy Scheider. And these three actors who play them are just incredible. It sounds great. Is that off-Broadway? It's on-Broadway. Oh, it's on-Broadway. And wow. the guy that plays Robert Shaw is the son, the actual son of Robert Shaw. Oh, I have to and see this And he's incredible. And he does that monologue about the Indianapolis. <laughs> but the that. thing is, with all these guys, each of them, and the guy that does Roy Scheider, I, in fact, I, I meant to look it up and I didn't, his voice Somebody once described Roy Scheider as a hanger with a sunburn, and he was so skinny, Roy Scheider, and always sunburned. And on this, he's, he's, he always wants to get time off to get a sunburn. Robert Shaw is, like, drunk, which was pretty much true, and Richard Dreyfus is so in, insecure. And Robert Shaw, which is a true story, rode his butt all that said, told him he was mannered, he was using tricks. Why don't you try acting for a change? And and he admired Robert Shaw. The other play that I saw, it's really worth seeing. It's I thought it, I said three guys on a boat. How it's, could that? It be? sounds terrific. I'm, they, I'm, it's really good, and uh, the play is good. What was the other one that you said? The Cottage. Now that there hasn't been this much mugging uh, since we cleaned up Times Square. <laughs> <laughs> it's a comedy, and everybody's making these faces, and it is funny. It is hilarious. It is um, like, uh, what, Noel Coward meets Monty Python meets Saturday Night Live. But it's two hours and ten minutes long. Could you watch a a, a, a Saturday Night Live sketch for two hours? No, I no mean, doubt. It is just hilarious. The actors are masterful. You'll you'll laugh your head off, but after a while you'll go. Give me a break, uh, Richard. It is always a treat to see you whenever you're in town. I'll see you the next time you're in town. This has been uh, fun. I hope so. This has been fun. Um, and well, you know, since you're here in the radio studio, why don't you end this hour the way you ended all those shows, right? You won't have Dick Bay to kick around anymore. <laughs> you will have Frank Morano. I'll be here for another three hours. Hopefully, you will too. Uh, Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, 
Here's Frank Morano. It's about time. Story we've been covering covering for a while now. A convicted murderer who escaped from a Pennsylvania prison and spent two weeks hiding in the woods and fields was captured yesterday, ending an extensive manhunt through Philadelphia's western suburbs. The fugitive, Danello Cavalcante, was apprehended after an alarm went off at a house in a wooded area of Chester County. A federal law enforcement aircraft, which was involved in the search, detected a nearby heat signal and closed in on Cavalcante in a wooded area about 15 miles north of Chester County Prison which he had escaped on August 31st. And first and foremost, I want to give my uh, utmost respect, commendation, and gratitude to all of the men and women of law enforcement in the state of Pennsylvania that participated in this search because it has been brutally hot out there in Pennsylvania, and uh, this is no joke, and I'm glad they finally caught him. Here was the spokesperson for the Pennsylvania State Police making the announcement. Shortly after 8 a.m., our suspect was captured. I want to say, first and foremost, thank God there were no injuries to law enforcement or to the public. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. That's Colonel George Bivens. And uh, they had the element of surprise, meaning the law enforcement folks. Cavalcante did not realize that he was surrounded. Cavalcante had tried to crawl away through thick underbrush with his stolen rifle. But apparently a federal agent released a dog which chased and subdued him and left him with a minor bite wound. The officers moved in. And Cavalcante, though still resisting, was taken into custody with no shots Fired. The public over the last 13 days has had a chance to see what excellence in law enforcement means, what true dedicated professionalism is all about. I couldn't be more proud to be standing up here today with these professionals from every level. I couldn't agree more. And uh, residents in the area who had lived with days of uh, relentless unease said they could finally let down their guard. And uh, Colonel Bivens praised the public for their support and everything they did. I want to say thank you to the public for their vigilance. Thank you for the constructive tips that they shared. Thank you for remaining on guard. 
We recognize this has been a concerning and trying time for each and every one of you in the region. And we want to thank you for your support of law enforcement and for your support of this effort that led to this capture today. Here's the thing, though. I want to, first of all, as soon as his capture happened, I was obviously thrilled that he was captured and grateful that uh, nobody was nobody was hurt, especially none of my friends or family members that live in Pennsylvania, not terribly far from here. I have often thought that I am going to wind up in prison one day. I, I just, I don't know. I have that foreboding feeling. I'm not hoping it. I, I just do think that. I, I mean, I'm so critical of law enforcement overreach, prosecutorial overreach, Uh, judicial misconduct, and all of the levers of power, the military-industrial complex, everybody, really. And I've seen time and again when you're critical of all these things, eventually they come for you. And sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not successful. And I'm confident that I'm going to be indicted for something someday, hopefully not for a while, and hopefully nothing too bad. If I ever got convicted, I'd like to think that I would do my time like a man, right? And uh, just sit there, use it as an opportunity to catch up on some books, to brush up on my uh, softball prowess, and, you know, just kind of do all the things that you do in prison to bide your time. Maybe do some writing, get some sleep. But if... I ever escaped from prison, which I don't imagine I would ever do. If I ever escaped from prison, I don't know where I would go or what I'd do. I, and I've been thinking about this this last two weeks. So this fella stole a car, stole some food, stole a rifle, stole a pair of boots, stole some clothes. And it got him 15 miles from where he started. I watched that miniseries, Danamora, about those two convicted murderers that had escaped from Danamora. That was a little bit of a different situation because they had the help of someone from inside the prison, Clinton Correctional Facility. But I watched that, and the same feeling went through my brain, which is, what would I do if I was a fugitive? And the truth is... I honestly have no idea. If someone were to ask me that on uh, Ask Frank Anything, where would you go if you were a fugitive? I have no idea. I wouldn't know where to begin. I wouldn't know how to evade detection. I wouldn't know if I should be camping out in the woods, if I should be hiding in plain sight in uh, some more urban areas. So it got me thinking, do any of you have a plan for what you would do if you're a fugitive. Where would you go? How would you get around? You've just, I'll give you two scenarios. You've either broken out of prison, as is the case of Mr. Cavalcante and Richard Mack and uh, David Sweat from Danamora, or you've been convicted, you've been sentenced, but you haven't yet been remanded into custody. They're letting you stay out pending appeal for whatever reason, and you decide to make a break for it. You decide to make a run for it. What would you do? Where would you go? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. What would you do as a fugitive? 
a question. Since before your sun burned hot in space, and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I, I think I would have to get out of New York City because... New York, I think, because it's a big city, used to be a city that you could kind of hide in plain sight in to some extent. Now there's cameras everywhere that you have, uh, you know, these CCTV cameras all over the place. And they can match that with facial recognition. I don't think you could hide anywhere in New York, honestly. So then the question becomes, where do you go? Where do you go? Pennsylvania is an attractive option because it's a bit more rural, there's some more open spaces, but there's still houses and there's still food. How do you get to Pennsylvania? Are you buying a bus ticket on the Greyhound? Are you hitchhiking? What are you doing? Um, New Jersey, I think there are some parts in New Jersey where you could hide out. You know, Atlantic City, for instance. I think you can be a fugitive in Atlantic City, no problem. But how am I getting to Atlantic City? I mean, you could get there and kind of live under the boardwalk with some of the bums. How am I getting there? Am I relying on someone that I trust to give me a ride and hoping they won't dime me out to law enforcement? I don't think so because I uh, I wouldn't want to get them in trouble and get them roped up into my uh, scheme. But if I absolutely had to be a fugitive, the God's honest truth is I have no idea what I'd do. I have no idea where I'd go. I have no plan. I'm like Eric Adams. No plan. What would you do if you were a fugitive? Where would you go? How would you get there? How Take me through your two weeks as a fugitive. Let me begin with Kevin in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, Frank, I've thought of this many, many times. And I know for one thing, I certainly wouldn't only get 15 miles away. When I heard that, I was... He had a car. I mean, I, I was blown away when I found out he only got 15 miles. Well, but I had uh, let me, I have to think, you're right, he did have a car, but I have to think all over Chester County, there was probably checkpoint after checkpoint that was checking all sorts of vehicles coming out of that area, right? Yeah, they can't cover every road, though. I mean, that's real rural. There's a lot of country roads out there, so I'm sure he could have got down one of those country roads, you know what I mean? He had to have gotten further than 15 miles. I mean, come on. All right, well, know, people I, I, in, that, yeah. in that area, they leave their cars unlocked and everything. So even if he, they caught the first one or they saw the first one because they knew which one he stole, he could have just got some, another car. He could have got somebody else's car, you know? I, I hear you. I was but, surprised he only got 15 miles away, too. I thought he was going to be much farther away. I got a good story for you, though, Frank. I know a kid from Jersey. He was the single largest bank robber in New Jersey history for one person. You're and kidding. he stole half a million dollars. How do you half know him? Half a million dollars. How do you know him? I grew up with I grew up with him, Frank. This kid was the craziest kid I've ever known in my whole life. His life's ambition was to make it on the FBI's 10 most wanted list when he was a kid. I'm talking a little kid. He, thought he said that. He, he got away with the money. Half a million dollars. He didn't go anywhere. He stayed in the town. When they caught him, he tried to burn the getaway car in the town, the same town. And somebody saw him doing it and called it in. They caught him two weeks after he got the money. When they found him, he was sleeping in the money. He had the bed, the money strewn across the bed. He was sleeping all in the money. But he didn't go anywhere. He could have went anywhere. He could have went to Mexico. He could have went anywhere. Especially with all that money. Correct. Why but did he, he stay? He faked an injury. Like he, 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 I think he was mainly because he was a drug addict. 
And I think he did more heroin in those two weeks than he ever did in his whole life. So I'm telling you, this is this, the genius this kid was. But he faked an injury, an illness. They took him to the hospital. He escaped the hospital. What? But they caught him. They caught him again. They cornered him in a, in a, in a housing complex in East Orange, New Jersey, and they shot and killed him. Oh, well, you that's can look a sad up the story. Name. His name is Robert Martin. Unbelievable story. It could be a movie one day. Well, that sounds like a, first of all, I'm shocked that it wasn't a movie. That is captivating. I can't believe I didn't know about that. I'm shocked that, um, that, uh, that it wasn't a movie, but what, um, that's a textbook example of what not to do, I would think. Correct. Absolutely. Jeez. So, uh, t- tell me what you're doing if you're a fugitive. Oh, I'm going to Mexico the, the second I'm out. I'm going straight to Mexico. I don't know how. I, if I get, saw a trucker, I'd, I'd hail him down. And, hey, you go my way. You know, find a truck stop maybe and get in a truck. One of them, those uh, truck stops, I'm going to Mexico for sure. You I'm th- getting away. You think you'd be able to cross the border, though? I mean, I know border, they, they don't mind people leaving at that, that much. But That's I have to thing. think there's a little of scru- scrutiny. But you think you make it across? I mean, they might. There might be some more scrutiny when they know that escaped the murderer, you know, escaped the murderers out there. But I don't know. I, I mean, leaving, I don't think is a big issue. You know, I, I really don't think they care. Well, that's interesting, Kevin. You know, thank you. Appreciate that. Great call. Love that story. Love the education. Thank you. And I'm reading about this uh, convicted bank robber, Robert Martin. This is wild. It, this is quite a story. This should be a movie. But um, I remember the show um, Breaking Bad. And there are fugitives on that show. I don't want to give anything away. But there are fugitives on that show. And one of them decides to go to New Hampshire. One of them decides to go to uh, Alaska. And one of them, and it didn't work out that well for this one, one of them decides to go to Nebraska. But that was, in the case of the Nebraska person, that's someone who had a whole different assumed identity. The New Hampshire person, look, obviously it's a different situation if you have money or not. If you have money, you can basically live an isolated existence somewhere and just pay cash for all your groceries and gas and just never leave the house. But um, if you don't have money like uh, Mr. Cavalcante didn't, that's a much tougher thing. But uh, if you go, you got a lot of cash, that's a, that's a different matter. But if you just ha- are escaped from prison, how do you get around? What do you do? I don't know. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. a you have an escape plan, Mr. Uh, Matt Blaze? Well, you got to steal a car because you can't uh, use your own vehicle. And then I'm going someplace where nobody would ever think I would go to. I, I, if I could get to Canada, I go to Canada. But there's the border, and I'm sure they have cameras and and guards there at this point. Um, so I'd have to go somewhere in the United States, probably like Kentucky or someplace like that, where I have absolutely no association or relationships there. That would nobody would look for me there. Yeah, I, I mean, I've thought a lot about where I would go if I was ever, you know, if I was going to go to a country that didn't have an extradition treaty with the United States. But I'm talking about like if you're in this kind of position where you're in prison, you've broken out, and you got nothing. Where do you go? I don't know. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Neil is on Staten Island. Where are you going, Neil? 
you know, Frank, originally I thought I'd go to see my brother in Maine, but on better contemplation, Frank, I'm going to go to your house. <laughs> I know you wouldn't turn me in. and uh, Well, I wouldn't I, I turn I... you in, Neil, but you got to understand, my house is like Grand Central. There are more people coming in and out of there all day long. And, you know, I have all my neighbors, you know, hanging around my house uh, every day. Somebody's going to see you. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I know where you should go, Frank. I got the perfect place. You should go to John Gotti Jr.'s house. No one would ever think he's looking for you there. Neil, I think uh, you are dramatically underestimating the amount of surveillance that would be at that location. Whenever anybody that knows John Gotti Jr. gets into any sort of trouble, that's the first place anybody's looking. Trust me. Marie is in Flanders. Hello, Marie. Home of the big duck. That story didn't have a nice ending as he's telling the story. I'm saying to myself, oh, what happened? And they shot him. Uh, anyway. Uh, I well, it's, a good, it's a good it's reason. It. It's a good ex- explanation as to why you should not be a fugitive not and run back. away from the police. Yeah. I would hide in the woods. There's fresh water. There's fish. You can eat certain mushrooms. And if it was winter, it'd be cold. But don't anyway, you think they'd find you with those dogs and stuff? Yeah, no, no. Richard Bay was great, Frank, and and they're already smashing him on on your on your website. Certain anyway. First, just, well, Marie, he's so first cool of all, and so cool. I, they 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 attack everybody in that Facebook group. I, I don't take I it personal. Yeah, you, you can't anyway. read too much into it. There's, you know, we have an audience of a, a very large audience of hundreds of thousands of people, and there's less than four thousand in the Facebook group. I'm not worried too much about what a dozen curmudgeons have to say about me or anybody else on this show. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Lou, hello. Yes, I would move to Montana and become a dental floss tycoon. How are you going to pull that off? Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa. Yes. <laughs> All right, Lou. Thank you. Rich on Staten Island, where are you going? Hey, Frank. Uh, well, there's a movie about it years ago in the 1970s. It's a uh, 430 movie, Bad Ronald. He slept with the lights on for about a month after that movie. He was wanted for murder, but his mother built a little room inside of his house. And uh, the police could not find him. Um, but what happened was the mother passed away and a new family moved into that house. And Ronald was living in the house. And it was very, very scary. So uh, just a little something to uh, think about. Bad Ron. Well, what are you supposed to do if your mother's not that handy? Uh, I don't know. I guess you could just go down like any other American, shape up in Port Richmond and get some guys in to build a room for you. <laughs> Rich, well done, as always. Well done, as always. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. I don't want to out him here, but, you know, I have it on very good authority that the person that you just called is the cousin of someone very, very famous. I don't want to say who because I don't want to embarrass him, but somebody that is really famous. So I'll let you guess as to who that is. Frank is in Hoboken, same place as Sinatra. Hello, Frank.
I love it, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. I love that song. I love Nancy Sinatra. And I love that I didn't have to fill out five forms to get the rights to hear Sugartown. That was wonderful. Thank you. Jacqueline is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Frank, good morning. Um, I don't know where the heck I would go. I haven't given it any thought, but I have a suggestion for you. I think you could hide out either at Neil's house in Staten Island or at Kenny's house. I would stay away from Matt because I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him. Well, but Kenneth, I think, still lives, you know, at home. So I'd have to deal with his mom and stuff. I don't want to I don't want to get I don't want to get Kenneth and his mom in trouble for well, you've probably got a basement or a garage, you know. I know, but so every time I, I uh, well, so er, let's say I went with your suggestion, right? Let's say I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I convince Kenneth and his mom to let to harbor a fugitive, which in this case would be me, and then I live in the basement. I'm assuming that you have a basement, uh, Kenneth. You do. So I'm assuming the basement has no bathroom and inadequate, you know, food and drink. So every time I have to come upstairs to use the bathroom, I then have to worry about making conversation with Kenneth or, or the mom. And, you know, and you could see how the small talk would go. Hey, well, it's hot outside. I'm hearing. Yep, I guess it is. Well, you're going to work. Yep. Yeah, I'm just going right back down to the basement. I'm going to continue being a fugitive. So it creates all these awkward small talk conversations. And then this poor woman and Kenneth there, I'm, I'm enveloping them in my scheme, which I would hate to do. But whatever, we'll consider the Neil. You know what my problem with Neil is? So Neil calls every day. I think he's called every day to almost every show we've ever done. And when I say every show, I mean, I'm talking going back 11 years. Um, Neil would want to do a talk show with me every day. I don't want to deal with that. I want to be on the lamb, chilling out, chilling out, just doing my thing. I, you know, Neil's going to watch cable news and then come down and say, hey, what do you think of that debate? No, Neil, let me just go back to being on the lamb and evading law enforcement here. Mickey is in Flatbush. Hello, Mickey. Braggy, how are you, buddy? I'm hanging in there, thanks. Still not a fugitive, which I'm is good. You never heard of that movie, Bad Ronald? I never saw it. No, I have heard of it. I've never seen it. You got to be. How old are you? I don't say. All right, Frank, you got to see that movie. Great movie. Well, you know, right? I, I, I'm i going to put it in my queue from Netflix right now, but there's no chance Can it gets to me in the next 15 living days. living in the walls of uh, uh, a relative's house? Living yeah. in the walls and, you know, uh, moving from room to room in a secluded uh, area in this house. It was mind-boggling. It was a great movie. I'm going to check movie. it out. I'm going to put it in but my queue from Netflix. I thought about going up to the Adirondacks, but then I thought, they don't have maple trees. I can't get syrup. I'd be living on pancakes and uh, maple syrup. Well, that's um, that's actually not a bad suggestion. The Adirondacks, I, you could probably get up there, right? They have this trail that you can walk from Manhattan all the way upstate now, and uh, you could probably get there actually, and and you could probably find a space to hang hang out and get a menial job, you know, a manual labor job, uh, and chopping wood or something. Gather, I could probably gather maple syrup along the way. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. That might be worth it. Thanks, Mickey. 800-848-9222. Larry is in the Queens. Hello, Larry. Hey, how's it going? Um, the best thing to do is find a bleeding 
Larry. Tell them what you did, and they have they have no respect for the law or the country, and they'll let you live there. Ah, uh, there you go, Larry. I was hoping to get a more practical suggestion, you know, in terms of somebody that's actually thought about this. But I guess the people that are fugitives or would be fugitives that have this really thought out plan. They probably don't want to announce it on the radio and tip off law enforcement, which I can understand. All right, 800-848-9222. Don't look now, but they have found some aliens in Mexico. And I don't mean the kind that are trying to cross the border. I'll tell you about it straight ahead. I'm listening to Frank Marano and eating gabagool. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Runaway. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program, join the Facebook group. Just go onto Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. If you listen to this program, um, whether you're part of the Facebook group or thinking of joining, I'd love it if you'd start some conversations about the topics that we cover on this show. And um, maybe other listeners will want to engage with you. There's, uh, even though we have a lot of members of this Facebook group, there's only a handful of folks that actually start conversations. And then there's a handful of folks that insist on uh, trying to start conversations about things that we don't talk about this show. They want to make it a, a forum for whatever they want to talk about. Well, if you're interested in talking about this show, join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Well. A big day in Mexico yesterday. Here's a little bit, if you're north of the border, what you may have missed. Vamos a presentar dos seres que fueron recuperados en Perú en una mina de diatomea. Son cuerpos desecados encontrados entre las ciudades de Palpa y de Nazca en 2017 que han sido investigados profundamente, yes. tanto por investigadores, periodistas, como por científicos, que hoy aquí van a dar a conocer algunas de sus extraordinarias conclusiones. Well, that was explosive. That was wild. I mean, I knew just wow. reading the written reports of what we had seen, that it was going to be something. 
That blew me away. Now, um, for those of you not as fluent as I am in Spanish, uh, Mexico's Congress held their first hearing on UFOs yesterday, and a self-proclaimed UFOlogist, I'm not sure if it's UFOlogist or UFOlogist, it's like videographer. Are you a videographer or a videographer? I've heard videographers, I use the term videographer, but I've heard videographers use both terms, videographer and videographer, I'm not sure which is correct. But, and same thing with UFOlogist. Is it UFOlogist? UFOlogist. UFOlogist? UFOlogist. Let's call the whole thing off. 800-848-9222 if you have an opinion on that. But anyway, this prominent, uh, well, not prominent, a self-proclaimed ufologist unveiled what he claimed were, and this is actually kind of wild, alien corpses from Peru. Jamie Masson, who has previously been connected to alien claims that were later proven false, testified under oath that he believed the bodies were not terrestrial in origin. In his testimony, he said the Autonomous National University of Mexico had examined the bodies and found unknown DNA. He also said x-rays showed there were eggs inside them. These two mummified corpses were discovered in Peru in 2017. They appear to have elongated heads and only three fingers. They're also estimated to be between 700 and 1,800 years old. This is not the first time that Masson has been connected to such claims. However, earlier claims from him were later determined to be false. In 2015, he unveiled what was purported to be an alien body. However, the mummy was later found to be that of a child with a head deformity. Archaeologists believe the elongated skulls on some Peruvian mummies are the result of intentional skeletal modification, which would have been practiced by wrapping babies' heads in rope, cloths, and wooden boards. The practice was possibly part of a religious practice. You know, I'm going to get back to this story in a second, but you don't hear about people being mummified anymore. Why did that fall out of fashion as a way to deal with the dead? You hear about a lot of burials, a lot of cremations. Cremation is everywhere. We've talked a little bit about um, getting cryogenically frozen, which I would like to do. but. You don't hear about anybody being mummified. I wonder why. Now, um, Mexico is not the only country that's interested in unexplained phenomenon. Obviously, the U.S. recently held a congressional hearing on UFOs, which I thought was really interesting. And some of the witnesses were also present at Mexico's hearing. Harvard astronomy professor uh, Avi Loeb, appearing by video, called on Masson to allow international scientists to perform further research on the mummies. And I I think clearly, if we're to view this claim even remotely credibly, uh, that's what needs to happen. Uh, We don't have the audio of Avi Loeb, but um, that's what he said. That was the sum and substance of what he said. I'm skeptical of this story. I think there's something very peculiar with these corpses, but I don't know if, um, barring 
international observers being able to look at these mummified corpses. I don't know if I'm quite willing to say that it's uh, that it's aliens. I don't know. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I reached out to some people that know a thing or two about this and um, wanted to get their take on what they thought they were dealing with. And uh, Ron James, who's been a guest on this program before, he's made a film called Accidental Truth, which is all about UFOs. He's also the director of media relations for uh, MUFON, which is one of the leading UFO watching groups in the country. This is what he told us. I really like Jaime Masson. I've known him for years. But these mummies, for lack of a better word, have been around for a long time. They've been covered on Diet TV. Uh, what's missing is any kind of definitive testing on these things that just blows the lid off the whole situation in a definitive manner. And I think that the absence of that after all these years is kind of indicative that there's probably something not right about these specimens. Uh, again, I would just like to see a reputable organization like somebody from Stanford or, uh, you know, any number of different groups have access to these specimens. We know there's plenty of them, so it's not like there's a shortage of material. And uh, somebody actually come up with some definitive results about what these are that can be documented in a reliable manner. And so far, we don't have that. So whenever I see these things pop up, I, you know, I'm, I'm dubious at best. And so to see them again five years later, that the, they kind of look like plaster mummies, which I don't think they are. But, again, they're inconclusive. They haven't moved the ball, but they've had the opportunity to do so. So, again, I'd just like to see some definitive published testing on these things. And if they're really truly what people are saying they are, well, that'll change the world in five minutes. Anyway, that's uh, not necessarily the official opinion of MUFON, but that's my personal opinion and, uh, you know, like I said, I'd love to be proven wrong. I agree with him. I agree with him. And I agree with Avi Loeb. You know, until they can do some testing by respected scientists and international authorities, how do you know what you're dealing with here? You don't. You don't. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, do you remember 20 years ago, maybe even longer than that, this group, I think they were called Clonade, and they had this very quirky CEO or spokesperson. Her name was Brigitte. And... Brigitte claimed that they had cloned a human baby, but they were very reticent about letting scientists look at this human baby that they had cloned. And I think that that, and I remember they named the baby Eve, but I think that that story then came out that it was a hoax, that they hadn't really cloned anybody. So whenever anybody's not willing to open up their books, as it were, and let people look behind the hood at these alien corpses. I'm skeptical. So it's fun to think about. It's interesting. It's thought-provoking. I don't know. I'm not sure this is uh, genuine at all. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Earl Gray Anderson, who's also been on this show, he's the state director of MUFON for Southern California and an executive member of the Experiencer Resource Team. He had some interesting comments on this. Uh, about the Mexican uh, UFO congressional hearings, um, I do know that Jaime Massan is one of the key figures in that. 
Uh, Jaime's got kind of a checkered career. Uh, either really good stuff has come from him and some not so good stuff. For instance, you know, there was supposedly Roswell bodies that they had photos uncovered of, which wound up turning out to just be a, a photo of a, a child mummy from uh, Egypt. Uh, kind of came to nothing. But then again, um, Alsan also was the main reporter that kind of broke the story about the Mexico City UFO event where there were like, I guess, multiple UFOs in the sky. And that one's never been uh, debunked or explained in scientific terms. It's just something strange and anomalous that happened south of the border. So, um, now as for the current uh, Mexican UFO Congress uh, that's that's been convened, uh, I do have a friend, uh, Dr. Robert Salas, who is part of that. He is there. Uh, I will be getting a report from him uh, when he comes back in a couple of days. Uh, in fact, he's going to be addressing my local MUFON group next month. Uh, I take Robert Salas very, very seriously. He was the gentleman who is the commander of the uh, ICBM base in Montana, that where the ICBMs, 10 of them, were shut down by a UFO that hovered overhead. Uh, this incident was documented quite thoroughly and was spoken about by Dr. Solace at the recent U.S. congressional UAP hearings. So uh, whatever uh, Robert Solace will tell me about this, I will respect highly, uh, and I should know soon. Uh, as for now, I, I'm keeping an open mind about it. Uh, on, on the surface, it looks kind of iffy, but I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. Uh, if they've actually got uh, the DNA from bodies and the DNA doesn't originate from Earth, well, uh, what is that? <laughs> so I guess that we have to see what happens, uh, what they get from the DNA reports if this is confirmed by uh, our own scientists and uh, could be something. Uh, anyway, never a dull moment. Never a dull <laughs> Thanks moment so much. is right. I will say, though, as skeptical of, uh, as I am of, uh, I guess it's pronounced Jaime Masson, of Jaime Masson's alien corpses here, I think it's great that the Mexican Congress is having these hearings because you don't want this to look like it's only an American thing. I mean, there are these UFO sightings all over the world and all countries should be kind of coming clean with what they know and holding hearings and exploring the issue. Do you know the number one country in terms of UFOs right now? Any guesses? Maybe it'll surprise you. Maybe it won't. Japan. Japan is the number one country in terms of uh, UFO sightings. And uh, it's I thought that was really interesting. We've done a little bit of um, exploration of UFOs in uh, Japan. They, they have an inordinate number of sightings. I can't explain why. Mick West is a kind of self-described debunker. He loves to debunk. He's debunked chemtrails. He's debunked everything. He's a conspiracy theory debunker. Not surprisingly, he was not impressed by the presentation of these, uh, you know, of these alien corpses. The alien bodies presented at the Mexican UAP hearing are fake. 
Jamie Masson has done this type of thing before. In 2015, he presented the Roswell slides at a sold-out event. The images that supposedly showed an alien actually showed a mummified human child. You could even read this on the label on the shelf next to it. Masson used the same experts then as he does now with his new hoax. It's not even really new. Several years ago, many people, including myself, pointed out that the x-rays of these bodies show only a poorly assembled collection of human and animal bones that makes no physical sense. Pilot Ryan Graves, unfortunately, had his reputation used to bolster this case, but today he repudiated the claims, calling it an unsubstantiated stunt that was a huge step backwards for UAP research. He's right. So there you have it. A a new Department of Defense document, by the way, reveals what some of you may have already suspected about the average UFO. The typical UFO reported to authorities is white, round, often translucent, and usually noted to be spherical or orb-like. That's according to a document the Department of Defense released. The garden variety craft ranges in size between 3 and 13 feet and glides through the air at 10,000 to 30,000 feet, according to the Department of Defense. Velocity-wise, the UFOs seen the most range from not moving at all to Mach 2, which is just over 1,500 miles per hour. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting as far as I'm concerned. Japan, as I mentioned, has become one of the world's biggest hotspots to see a UFO, according to these newly declassified Pentagon documents dating back to 1996. Mike is in Woodside. Hello, Mike. Hey, uh, Frank. As you know, I was a journalist in Asia for many, many years. And yes, you're right about Japan. They are really fascinated with UFOs. They're really into it. They used to travel out to the Philippines where I was based. And they go up in the mountains and, and look at these things. And they also look at supposed mummies uh, that were up there. And some said, oh, these are aliens and all these types of things. They do mummification of certain tribes up, up in the northern Luzon area of the Philippines. And so, and so that's what, what it was about. The, the thing is, though, with this thing in the southern border, it really kind of tells you, right, they're coming from everywhere to get into the country, right? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> just, it just kind of seems to be that way. It's true. It's but, true. I have a question on the uh, on the uh, on the fugitive. You know, uh, you remember a few years back there was this crime family called the, the, the Cavacantes and Cavacanti. I was wondering if there was any tie-in between the escaped prisoner and you know uh, what was his, what was his name? Uh, Ocean uh, Ocean Palermo. He was uh, Billy Ocean. Billy Ocean Palermo, who was this. Uh, crime boss that they used to call the crime family that was the basis for the Sopranos. Yeah, it was, uh, and, I think uh, it was the, the, Jimmy the, the Ocean. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, it was Jimmy Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. The, the Cavacanti or Cavacanti. I, yeah. I always wondered if the two were somehow linked. No, no. Uh, they, not at all. Uh, not at all. They, it, it's uh, spelled differently. The crime family, so the fugitive in Pennsylvania that was caught is Cavalcanti, C-A-V-A-L-C-A-N-T-E. The crime family out of New Jersey is De Cavalcanti. So it's D-E-C-A-V-A-L-C-A-N-T-E. So, and obviously one is of Italian derivation and one is of Brazilian derivation. So no, no, no connection whatsoever. 
Yeah, that seemed kind of strange, though, the whole thing, you know. Maybe he's one of the aliens. You know, you never know the way he climbed up that wall. Hey, you never know indeed, Mike. Thank you. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. One, two, three, into the phone. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Before I have to pull the strap off the cut. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Lone Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Cause ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low, out G, so we crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to fake this. Hell but yeah. uh, back to the lecture at hand. Nothing perfection but a, or excuse me, nothing but a G thing. By uh, Snoop Lion, I believe, formerly Snoop Doggy Dog, formerly also Snoop Dog, and uh, also uh, Dr. Dre as part of this stellar duet. This is a birthday bumper music request from a man who is literally my oldest friend in the world, Amir Metri, who is um, celebrating his birthday today. I have known him. Since I was born, my uh, my we lived next door to his family in the first house we ever lived in in Amador Street, and uh, our parents were friends, and we became friends from the time that we could walk, and uh, or at least that I could walk, and uh, we've uh, stayed in touch ever since then, and uh, a great great guy, and I was happy to be at his his wedding to his beautiful wife Liz a couple of years ago. And uh, happy birthday, Amir. Hopefully all your wishes come true. I'll tell you, if I'm making a list of wishes to come true, it is the fact that I don't catch my son's cold. And it's just the worst thing in the world that when you have a uh, a, a son or a child of any sort who is dealing with a cold or something, and, you know, you... Pick him up, and uh, when he wants to wake up for the day, and he, you just hear his labored breathing, and you know it's just a cold; it's just got music, but you can tell he's uncomfortable. It's very, very tough. And I, I figured he was probably up for the night last night. So when I got home yesterday, he was up, and my wife was still asleep. So I said, "Let me take care of him and let her sleep a little bit." And I go into his crib because he's used to starting his day during the week with his mom. And he he says, uh, Mommy. And I said, how's that for recognition? I mean, come on. I said, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Mommy's sleeping. And you know what he does? He holds his finger up to its his lips and says, shh, meaning not to wake her. Because I guess when he asks for me and I'm sleeping during the day, that's what she always says. She says, oh, daddy's sleeping. Shh, don't wake him. So that's what he did with her. But um, but anyway, I spent the big portion of the afternoon with him, the, really the whole day. 
And he's coughing. I'm wiping his nose. He's got a runny nose. At one point, he actually goes so far as to sneeze right on me, right on to my face. And I said, okay, I, I know I'm going to get your, your cold. So we put him to bed. We have dinner. We put him to bed. And I hope he's sleeping. But I, um, we, we watch Only Murders in the Building. This great show with uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short, Selena Gomez. Great episode. Um, and some very good cameos in the last episode. I don't want to spoil them for you because I don't want, I wouldn't want anybody to ruin the surprise for me. But one of them is someone that I really, really like, like almost Shatner level fandom. And it was really nice to see that person in this episode. But anyway, we're concluding the episode and it looks like she's, you know, crying. I said, honey, what's the matter? And I thought maybe she got really into the episode. Maybe it was very emotional. And she said, it's official. I have Carmine's cold. And this goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, another health issue that she was dealing with. Nothing serious, but it's, you know, enough to make you uncomfortable. And uh, so she's got his cold now. I am really hoping that I don't get this cold. I have been taking Zycam. I take every supplement there is anyway. Balance of nature, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin B12, every supplement you can imagine. It takes me 10 minutes just to take all my supplements in the morning. I mean, it's just, you'd think I was a rock star, the amount of pills I'm swallowing in the morning. So I, uh, I have been taking this Zycam as a preventative measure. So hopefully I will not get this cold. And hopefully he gets over it quickly too, and, and my wife does. But as of now, as of this moment... I am the only person, knock on wood, in the Morano household that uh, does not have a cold. And, you know, because of that, he was pretty cranky uh, for a good portion of the day. I mean, he had his moments where he was in good spirits and we went outside and played outside. But he just became whatever he didn't get to do what he wanted to do. He just became very, very irritable in uh, in a hurry. So I'm hoping he feels better. He feels better soon. But uh, that's kind of where that's kind of where we are at in the Morano household. All right, next hour. Should police officers who commit crimes or are accused of crimes should they be able to remain anonymous and? Why is the CIA incentivizing people to lie? We'll explore it to be continued. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano, as designated by the good folks over at Bally's. Thank you to the good folks at Bally's. In late July, a pregnant black woman was fatally shot by an Ohio police officer. And as 21-year-old Takia Young sat in her car in a supermarket parking lot, officers approached and accused her of shoplifting. Young refused police orders to get out as an officer stood in front of Young's car. When the car began slowly moving towards the officer, he fired one shot through the windshield. Young and her unborn daughter both died. And as far as the justice system is concerned, there are two crime victims in this case, but perhaps not the two that you might expect. Neither Young nor her baby, unborn baby, are considered victims of a crime at present, since a grand jury has yet to hear the case to decide whether the shooting warrants criminal charges. The union representing the officers says an investigation will determine if their actions were justified. The officer who fired and another who was nearby are being treated as the victims of an automotive assault. However, and well, this may change, they have had their names shielded from the public under the victim's rights statute known as Marcy's Law. Are you familiar with Marcy's Law? Have you heard of Marcy's Law? It's M-A-R-S-Y apostrophe S. This way of using victims' laws to shield the identity of police officers after a use-of-force incident, especially fatal shootings, which obviously get a lot of attention, has been growing in popularity in a number of states, including Florida, South Dakota, Wisconsin, In Ohio, a new law this summer requires police to automatically withhold the names of violent crime victims, including on-duty police officers. Ohio officials cite the law in explaining the limited release of information in recent police shootings. Marcy's law statutes began popping up, you probably remember when they started, around 2008, first in California, And the push has largely been propelled by one single billionaire activist, Henry Nicholas III, who named the law after his murdered sister. Uh, Proponents argue the law, the laws, because, you know, it's a state by state situation. The laws protect the rights of crime victims, just as the justice system, at least in theory, offers some protection to criminal defendants. Protections under... Victims' laws often include a right to be notified of court hearings involving the defendant and the right not to be publicly identified in ways that could attract harassment or retaliation. One in three Americans now live in states with some variation of Marcy's Law on the books. Civil liberties advocates like the ACLU and the Cato Institute 
they have long been skeptical of these laws on constitutional grounds. They don't think you should be keeping this information secret. But in the late 2010s, some critics also began ringing alarms that police were using the protections to evade identification after officers used force. The This use of the law dramatically limits the public's ability to evaluate police behavior, including determining whether an officer's actions fit into a longer or broader pattern of violence. I'll give you an example. Let's say we knew that this police officer in Ohio who killed this woman had a history of using his gun recklessly. Let's say he had a history of police brutality. Let's say he had a history of anger management issues. Maybe that would color the public's perception of whether or not this pregnant woman should be dead or not. So uh, Jonathan Blanks, who was a Cato Institute researcher in 2019, said this, this novel interpretation, meaning using victims' rights laws to shield the identity of cops, was turning Marcy's law on its head. According to Jonathan Blanks, the police officer is acting as an agent of the state. He's not a victim. And the idea that he gets anonymity for something he did in our name is absurd. I have to tell you, that argument holds a lot of water with me. The police are acting on the public's behalf. And if a police officer is involved in a use of force incident, even if they are the victim of a crime here, as is the case here where they might have been the victim of an automotive assault. I don't know the details of what the police are claiming precipitated the shooting. But they work for us. And if that's you know, we ought to have a right to know their identity. Several police unions have pushed back on that, as have lawyers for the individual officers. Um, the lawyer for a Florida officer told a, the Tallahassee Democrat last year, a victim is a person. My client is a person. Make the jump for me. How is my client not a victim? A 2020 investigation by ProPublica and USA Today looking at the use of Marcy's Law by police in Florida found in at least half of cases the officers were not injured. Even minor movements that officers perceived as threatening, such as walking aggressively or reaching into a pocket, qualified as batteries on officers, triggering the law's protection. So there's a legal battle over the law's use for officers pending before the Florida Supreme Court. But I would not be surprised if in the near future the U.S. Supreme Court ends up weighing in on this because Ms. Young's killing in Ohio also underscores how police continue to shoot into moving vehicles even though the Department of Justice and multiple professional law enforcement groups have advised against it. They said, don't shoot into moving vehicles. Vehicles are sometimes used as weapons against officers by people trying to flee. But a lot of the experts say that for officers, the best strategy is getting out of the way 
a lot of times that's a better strategy than firing on the driver. Because when you shoot at the driver of a moving vehicle, it's a low percentage shot. And even if the driver is struck, there's no guarantee the car will stop or even slow down. So striking the driver can actually increase the risk by turning the car into basically an unguided threat. In Young's case, after the officer fired at her, the vehicle kept moving slowly until bumping to rest against a nearby building. So the uh, police department's use of force guidelines state that when feasible, officers should take reasonable steps to move out of the path of an approaching vehicle instead of discharging their firearm at the vehicle or any of its occupants. Occupants. Young was a mother of two young boys and an aspiring social worker who was excited about moving to a new apartment she'd recently secured. On Thursday, friends mourned her as a smart girl who was beautiful inside and out. I think it's certainly a sad situation. I don't know what she did here. I don't know what her level of criminality in this incident is. Whatever the level was certainly didn't merit being killed. But I am curious what you think about this. If police are involved in a use of force incident, especially if someone dies, should they be able to use Marcy's law to keep their identities secret? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. My view is, my answer is no. These are public employees. They work for us. They're accountable to the public. We, the public, have a right to know when you're involved in a use of force incident. I think there ought to be a public official's exemption to Marcy's law, even if you're the victim of a crime. If it's in the process of doing your job as a public employee, whether you're a cop, a firefighter, a sanitation officer, and there's use of force, um, and there's, there's an injury sustained to someone other than the purported victim, we ought to know your identity. So we can make an evaluation as to whether or not this fits in any sort of a pattern. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That is 800-848-9222. You're also welcome to weigh in on uh, whether or not you think police should heed the guidance of the experts and avoid firing on uh, moving vehicles. I happen to think that's pro- I'm not a policing expert, obviously, but I happen to think that that is a pretty sound philosophy. 800-848-9222. Uh, Want to big give a big shout out to all of our listeners on Talk 1400 WOND in Atlantic City. What is going on in Atlantic City this week? A wild, wild situation involving uh, the Borgata, which I will bring to your attention shortly. JR, who is a uh, police officer himself, I'm eager to hear your take on this. Uh, so in New York City, Frank, good morning. First morning. I'd like to uh, speak to you again. Sure, you too. So there's this thing called 50A. Uh, it's a You can go online and basically find a police officer's entire disciplinary record right so this already exists in new york well, well, uh, well, anyway. but yeah but so i have to know the officer's name in order to find that though yes you do so like what do you want do, do you want a 
some database or do you want to be no, part I, of No, I want I want I want hey, Officer Jones I, yeah, in the base. Yeah, I want if um a, if there's a use of force incident, I want to know the police officer's name. So you so for every use of force incident, founded or unfounded, well, no, no. you want to be notified. Where someone somewhere. other than the purported victim, if they're claiming that the victim is the police officer, uh, for someone other than their purported victim is injured or killed, there ought to be an exception to Marcy's law. And, um, you know, Marcy's law, which I have questions about in general, I'm not sure we should even be keeping the victim's name secret, but I understand that. I understand the rationale for that. You don't want them hunted down and terrorized by by somebody. I get that. But um, I think there ought to be a public official's exception for Marcy's law, and we ought to know their identity. So we could look into that 50A database. But you can look into the 50A database anyway. Not if I don't know their name. so how how should you be notified of their name? Oh, so um, like that's what I'm trying to say. Like, how should there be like a uh, uh, an updated list that you get or that is available? Yeah, when 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 because the if when the, poli- the police okay, so I'll let you talk. Go ahead. Right. Okay. Oh, so I'm not talking about. All right. Thank you, Jr. I appreciate you letting me talk. So um, we know a police officer shot this woman in Ohio. We don't know this person's name. We should know this person's name. The only reason we don't know this person's name is because they're com- they're claiming this victim's rights law, Marcy's law, which allows you to pr- pr- protect the identity of the victim. We don't know the officer's name. We know the name of the woman who was killed, but we don't know the officer's name. We ought to. So we can check something like the 50A database and see if there's a history of anything. Maybe there's not. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Yes, good morning, Frank. Hi. Hi. I uh, met you at the uh, New York State uh, Occupy Peace Movement. Ah, and, great. Uh, it was great was to very, meet you. Yes. Very nice meeting you. Uh, today is a sad day. If you looked at that video... The officer put himself in danger. He was not the first officer to approach her. He was the first officer was at the side of her at her pass at her driver door, talking to her. The other officer comes strolling by, walks in front of the car like he's Superman and could stop this vehicle if she did decide to right. accelerate. Right, I saw the video. The I thought it was- shoots her for moving one mile an hour at her. This guy is hypersensitively unbelievable, and unless this woman never saw a police shooting of a black man in, in the United States, this woman, of course, is innocent. She is the innocent victim. I don't see any way this guy could get away with that, and nobody knows his name. Right. And if he's not demoted and put out of service from this job, I am, I am an upset citizen. Well, Joe, I want to be clear. I, look, I'm all for uh, having a, cl- a full airing of the facts and evaluating, look, maybe there's something other than what, what's on this video. There often is. I'm not mm. looking to convict anybody. Uh, especially a police officer who have very tough jobs and have to make split second, second decisions. I'm not looking to convict anybody before they get all the due process rights that are afforded to them. However, However. I think it's crazy that we don't know his name. And I think it's uh, crazy that this trend is now going on 
all over the country in states that have Marcy's Law. It's very true. It's very true. My, uh, I, I've been to Ohio three, two separate times this year on the bicycle riding. And every time I see a police officer now, I am like deathly, I have stomach I go into almost panic mode because I'm stopped by a policeman. I was stopped on bicycle for riding on a highway. Come on. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. But these police officers who are hypersensitive, training is one thing. But when this guy puts himself in front of a car saying, I'm God, you better listen to me. Yeah. And thanks for the call, Joe. And uh, it was was nice to meet you at that rally. But um, I will say, look, I don't want to get sound like I'm demonizing the police at all. I mean, uh, some people like uh, Bill de Blasio used to tell his son, you get frightened when you see cops. I get frightened when I see criminals. Uh, cops have a very difficult job and I'm not looking to second guess everything they do. But I think this is crazy that we don't know this cop's name and that they're using Marcy's law to keep it a secret. It's not at all what the intent of this law was. This this police officer could very well be charged. I mean, at the very least, we ought to know his name so we can look into his history. 800-848-9222. Johnny is in Baltimore. Hello, Johnny. Hey, how you doing? Doing fine. Thanks, Johnny. What's on your mind? Well, here's the problem, in my opinion. You have police. I'm from Baltimore. I don't know how you deal up in New York. You have to have accountability. The police officer, from what I've seen in that, he shot her. Now, you can take immunity, and here's the thing that gets me. You have accountability. Right. Thank Please. you. Yeah. I, Johnny, I'm sorry. Just the long gaps between words. I mean, you make uh, William Shatner look like the micro machine guy. But uh, I agree. There should be accountability. But there ought to be, before you get to accountability, there ought to be public disclosure. We ought to know this officer's name and all these other officers that are using Marcy's Law. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello. Yes, good morning. I find myself in the peculiar position of agreeing with you for a change. Oh, jeez, I must be wrong. Yeah, well, this is one of your curmudgeons. But um, this is the issue that I think. And I I think that guy who called in and said he had fears in his stomach was being a little bit overdramatic. I'll say this. I can't see the video for obvious reasons, but I listened to the description of it. And there are some troubling aspects to this shooting. But like you, there is a system that has to play out. But in the meantime, we should know who this officer is because let's say, and this happens a lot, that there is no action taken because a lot of these cases, indictments don't happen for whatever reason. This person could move on to another police force who will have no idea of his past record in this case or any other because we don't know his name. That is not right. Any public official, and police officers are public officials, who is accused of any act while they're in office should be identified. I don't understand why that's controversial, and they shouldn't be using a law designed to protect victims of crime to shield their identity. That, to me, seems to be the worst part of this because under no circumstance, in my opinion, is this guy the victim of a crime. 
at all. The police officials should not be using this law. They're perverting it. And, and that's not fair to the victims who this law was intended to protect. Thank you. Thank you, David. I, uh, I'm always very nervous when I say this, but uh, I agree with everything you just said. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls, questions, comments, seven open lines if you want to weigh in. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Flow by Pearl Jam. Uh, this is another Amir Metri special. A uh, very good friend of mine. I haven't seen him in a, a little while because uh, I've been busy. He's been busy. But, um, you know, still uh, still very good friend. And um, it's his birthday today, and this was one of his birthday bumper music selections. So, uh, happy birthday, Amir. All right. Um. Well, it is time for our AC report for the last, since we had a thunderstorm a few days ago, the air conditioning in my wife's office keeps beeping. Yesterday, I uh, did not get around, or two days ago, I did not get around to fixing it, but sure, lo and behold, today, that was the first item on my agenda. My wife went to the grocery store. And this was the first thing she asked me. Can you look at that that air conditioner and see if you can do anything to stop the beeping? Doesn't sound like that's a little shorter. But I said, sure. And I figure it's going to be one of these quick things. And after I talked about this on the radio recently, a whole bunch of people sent me tips. I said, sure enough, one of these tips 
has got to work. I mean, something's got to work. Some people said, hold the filter button down. Some people said, press the plus and minus simultaneously. Um, none of that worked. So I said, all right, well, maybe I didn't do a cl- good enough job cleaning the filter. I'll try that again. I, it's also, I noticed, flashing the number 88, 88. So now, now this has taken time away from when I'm normally working on the show. This is the first opportunity that I've had to work on the show all day. And I am now spending this show prep time working on an air conditioner. And I obviously cannot just throw in the towel because I'll look like a loser to my wife. So I go online, and I'm looking at what to do if your air conditioner beeps after a power surge. What to do, and then I find all sorts of people, you know, offering similar stories. And story after story of what to do if your window unit air conditioner is flashing the number 88 after a power surge. Every single one of them says, call a professional technician Consult the manual. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do that. So I keep at it. I keep tinkering. I'm looking at alternative causes. Maybe it wasn't the power surge. Maybe it was something else. And I'm looking. I'm trying all these other things. Trying to clear out things. Maybe something's stuck. Something's jammed. I don't know. And I finally find a video. I find a video... Explaining what to do. And I see a very confident looking guy that looks like he knows what he's talking about. And apparently what happens is when after there's a power surge, and I don't understand, it's plugged into a surge protector. Maybe it's not a sufficient surge protector, I guess. I don't understand why we got surged to begin with. But anyway, I said, uh, let me let me watch this video. I'm watching it. And he says what the problem is. The the board, there's an electric, a board of electric circuits in the air conditioner. And it's, you know, it's fried. And he's explaining that you need to cut some of the wiring from this electric board and that'll whack it back into shape. So I unscrew the sides of this air conditioner. I take the whole front portion off of it. <laughs> and at this point, I'm seeing flashbacks of this laptop that I couldn't fix and that I tried for days to fix. And I'm thinking, um, okay, uh, maybe as much as I hate to do it, uh, because I hate to throw in the towel initially because my wife is expecting me to fix this and counting on me to fix it. But then secondarily, the more time you spend on this, the more you feel like you have to figure out a solution because you figure, all right, I've now invested 45 minutes to an hour of this. Instead of preparing for the show, I had better, I don't know, I would better figure something out here and get some. Couldn't figure out anything. I, I think I would have needed a soldering iron. I don't even know how to operate a soldering iron. So I threw in the towel. And obviously, uh, that was one of a series of disappointments that my wife had to deal with yesterday. And so uh, I said, all right, we're going to have to call a professional in. And she said, well, I feel like for the cost of getting a professional here, maybe we're better off just getting a new air conditioner, which I hate to do because the air conditioner is only three years old. The air conditioner works fine. So, But I think she's right. If it does cost a couple hundred dollars for an HVAC technician or an electrician 
to come to our house and look at this, then, you know, perhaps it is worth getting. I mean, you probably get some good deals on an air conditioner when when it's off season now, because now when it gets a little colder, people are going to be looking to do something else. I don't know. So that's the latest on AC Gate. Uh, very disappointing. All Mother Nature. You know, we talk about the power of Mother Nature. You look at what happened in Morocco. You look at what happened in Libya. You see what happens in other places. And who would have ever thought that the air conditioner in my wife's office would be the next victim of this? Certainly not me. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on uh, this or anything else we're talking about. Ilona is in Westchester. Hello, Ilona. Well, Frank, I have two things to say. One of them is I was thinking about you today because I found a recipe for egg salad because I love it as much as you do. But they don't put mayonnaise. They use cream cheese. That's pretty cool, right? Whoa! Did you make it? No, no, not yet, because I'm a nurse. I was uh, working. Well, you've got to... Oh, my God. If it's, Frank is going to go nuts. Uh, I am going to go nuts. First of all, you've got to try it and tell me if this is worth trying, because that yep. is... You just blew yep. my mind. Yep. And they, like, I think... See, I, of course, I was on a break, but I think they whip it, like, with the egg salad. I think it, the picture looked like that they were smashing the egg salad and then putting cream cheese, and a couple of other ingredients. I'm going to try to find it again tomorrow because I thought it was great. Uh, it sounds interesting. Let me know if you make it, and uh, if you can send me the recipe, I'd be curious about it. Yeah, I will. So the second thing, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be, like, mean, but That's okay. there is a very bad uh, aura out there that people hate police, and they have frauditors out there, and they pick on the police, and they try to get them in trouble. And then there's people that just hate police and would like to kill them. And then they actually, there's a, an idiot, Direct D, who's actually wanted right now in California. No, in, excuse me, in Arizona. And he literally puts out addresses of cops. And that other policeman that was calling, um, he, there is that list. So these idiot frauditors in New York City, they go after the police. And then they go, okay, yeah, let's just get his name so we can find out. While they're frauditing and annoying the cops and picking on let's find out his record. So my point is, um, I am for pro-police, and I don't think it is, like, it, let's say it was your son, okay, and he's older and he's a policeman. You don't want the, his name out. I don't really know the whole story, but you don't want his name out because if he's innocent, people are going to target him and his family, and we need them to save our lives. Too many are getting killed. Too many are brought up on charges, which unfortunately may not they deserve. You know what I'm saying? They need a chance because they're the ones we're going to call. Alona, first of all, I mean, I completely agree with just about everything that you said. I mean, there's no bigger supporter of the police uh, than I am. All of my neighbors, who I'm super good friends with, are all uh, are all police officers. So I completely... That's awesome. 
I completely agree with you. Um, I do think, though, in my experience, a lot of the time, what makes so many of these good police officers look bad is the handful of police officers that don't do their job well. And I don't think they should be able to use a victim's rights law to keep their identity shielded. I mean, look, I am i don't want to rush to convict these Ohio cops, but if you look at this video, it does look... I didn't see it. It, I, I didn't see it, it. It looks pretty bad. Now, again, I'm still wanting an open... Uh, you know, a watching, not rushing to conviction for anybody, but I just think it's crazy that we know the name of the pregnant woman that was killed, but not the cop that oh, shot her. Killed? Oh, wow. Oh, well, I mean, that's very, that's very bad. But uh, again, you know, that's another reason, because if the cops are innocent, that people are going to judge them, right? Like they always do before, you know, they've been proven in a court of law or whatever. And, and I think that at this point, right now, the mentality of how people hate cops is so is so bad. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, unfortunately, I think that it's the cops that don't do their job well, either because of, uh, you know, they make a mistake or because of something worse than a mistake that make all these good cops the villain in a lot of these other folks' uh, minds. And, and I think the um, at least having a little bit of disclosure of knowing these cops' names, I, I think it, w- it would go a long way towards restoring public confidence in that. That. But Alona, I, uh, I we, sorry, go ahead. I'll give you... You're going to find out who they are eventually. I, well, but, you know. no, but we haven't in all the states where these cops are invoking Marcy's law. We haven't found mm-hmm. out their names. So this is now a trend that is spreading all over the country. And I, I don't think that's right. Uh, Alona, thank you. I appreciate the call and the uh, egg salad tip, certainly. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Joanne is in Westchester. Hello, Joanne. Yes. Good uh, morning, Frank. Hi. <laughs> um, I, have, I have to tell you, I love egg salad just as much. And my big thing was um, when I heard the cream cheese, I'm like, what? And I'm going to try that. If not tomorrow, the day after, because I'm, I'm I'm nuts about it. And I also love cream cheese. So that sounds wonderful, Ilona. Thank you so much. Um, mine was just mushing it up so finely, which I do. And then I just, I never add salt to anything because salt is no good for anybody for anything, I think, on any level. So I just add my, um, so no, I don't have a, a, a new tip for that. I smoosh it up with a fork, though. And I love it that smushy. But anyway, I'm going to try that, and I want to thank you for that. Now, ask me something political. I want to. I want to answer something else. What um, would you like me to? Uh, I I don't. I mean, uh, I don't know. What, what do you want to answer? You, you tell me. You're uh, done. Yeah, you know, whatever the border. Um, I'm just so upset about that. It's crazy. And and you know what? I'm very upset about Frank in particular about that. The fact that um, they are saying now they meaning it's always someone on the left, of course. There's nothing really wrong, and, and are you kidding? And then also the fact that well, they're not illegal. They, I was told the other day, they're not illegal. They most certainly are, even if you want. They're not vetted now, so therefore, makes them illegal. Um, also, uh, you know, you could say, um, uh, what about the gotaways though? The gotaways, they don't know. Yeah, and, and we have we have a lot of garbage, dangerous stuff coming into this country. It scares the heck out of me because you don't know who your neighbors are. 
I mean, in a lot of cases. Yeah, thank um, you. Thank you, Joan. With that in mind, uh, there's a lot of controversy. You know, speaking of uh, Atlantic City, where we're being heard on uh, Talk 1400 WOND right now, there is this plan to house migrants at Atlantic City airports, and a lot of the local elected officials are not at all happy about this. You're seeing just a tremendous backlash from a lot of the local officials. So you talk about tens of thousands of migrants being shipped to an airport in Atlantic County, Atlantic City International Airport. I don't blame people for being a little upset. And the federal government is not answering questions about this reported proposal to move an unknown number of migrants out of New York to Atlantic City International Airport. But meantime, the Atlantic County federal and state legislators, they're responding vigorously on the basis of this leaked document that was published by Bloomberg that uh, they're they're calling out by name Governor Phil Murphy. See, if you're not up on this, Bloomberg reported that correspondence from the Biden administration to New York City discusses 11 possible sites for offloading migrants, with one of them being Atlantic City International Airport. And the number of migrants in New York City possibly to be spread to other communities is reportedly about 60,000. And Atlantic County Executive Denny Levinson, who's been on this show, he believes the report about the report about the airport is true. But he said the efforts to obtain the document or confirmation for this have failed. Atlantic County last week hosted a solidarity rally with local county, state and federal officials. And unusually, there was very little difference between Democratic and Republican officials criticizing the idea and vowing to oppose it. You had the Atlantic City mayor, Marty Small, a Democrat. He said party lines mean nothing in this situation. He described himself as livid, livid. Uh, Small said his city already deals with other areas that dump their less fortunate on the great city of Atlantic City. And he referred to it as Greyhound bus therapy, which I thought was very creative. Congressman Jeff Van Drew, who's a Republican, he's been on the show before, he used to be a Democrat. His district covers this area. He said that they continue to be denied information about the administration planning with New York City. And the Biden administration, meantime, has been totally silent on this plan to move migrants to Atlantic City. And by the way, Atlantic City International Airport is not actually in Atlantic City. It's actually in Egg Harbor Township, with, which has a population of under 50,000. So this airport is going to be about uh, five mi- excuse me, nine miles from Atlantic City. But the history of Atlantic City International Airport starts all the way back in the 40s, and it was among a string of coastal air defense installations established for World War II. And I think this would be a total disaster. And I'm glad that the uh, local elected officials are opposing it. And it's very disappointing to see that this is all being done very cloak and dagger. And nobody's really saying what the real deal is on this. All right. 
1-800-848-9222. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hi, Pamela. Hi. Um, about your air conditioner, it sounds like it might have tripped a safety feature, you know, like a GFI outlet. And it might be uh, just a factor of uh, you have to uh, trip it again. You have to like a, a, you know, circuit breaker. You have to trip it again. So I, I turned my, that was one of the things that I saw actually. And I turned my, my circuit breaker that controls that circuit on and on and off again. And that didn't have uh, any effect. Is there anything else that you would recommend that I should be doing? It may be on the unit itself. You know, I don't mean a house circuit breaker. I mean, you might have to, like like a uh, cell phone or a computer, you might have to unplug it, turn it totally off, and then redo it. Well, there's also, uh, I did that. I unplugged it. I turned it off. I also, there's a reset button on the, the uh, control adjacent to the plug itself. I press the reset button, and every single time, it, it does the same thing, which is it turns on for a second, and then it beeps, flashes 88, and turns off. Okay, then then it might have, the surge might have been so powerful that it might be damaged, and it's telling you it's it's damaged, okay, if, if that continues. Yeah, uh, obviously it might be damaged. So what would you but, do? Would you get a new air conditioner, as my wife is suggesting, or would you try to call someone to have this repaired? Well, there are places still, and you could give business to small businesses, there are people that do repair certain things, and it might, um, you know, get estimates and see, you know, there might be some genius out there, mechanic, in a little store or a little garage or something that does business out of his garage. Um, you know, there's a lot of handy people who can fix it. But um, or call the manufacturer and say it's flashing 88. What you know, what does that mean? Is it burnt? And then if it's really destroyed, then, you know, it's not worth saving. But um yeah, I, I would check it out because some things can be repaired. There are still appliance repair places, although they're diminishing because of the, the oh, obsolescence. I know. Uh, but, but you could give business to somebody. Oh no, I'd like to. I'd like to. You know me. That's my. Uh, that's my jam. I'm uh, Mr. Small Business. What? It's, you sound pretty handy. Like you know your way around an air conditioner. Well, I, I was brought up. You know, my dad made sure I knew how to take care of a home, and um, I'm pretty. As far as theory with like uh, heating, physics, and um, my my dad was a master mechanic, and he he always told me just be careful about electricity. That's one area. Of course, he had to deal with electricity in his work, but he always said be careful, respect electricity, and um, if if that appliance is telling you something, you know, listen to it. <laughs> Thank you, Pamela. I appreciate that. I am going to look into. You know, there's a few places by me that uh, that I think do service appliances. Maybe it's worth trying to have someone come over and, and seeing what the story is. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. 800-848-9222. So anyway, I mentioned this. Have you seen what is going on at the Borgata? And it's not just the Borgata. It is all the MGM properties. What a mess. There, there's been a massive computer shutdown at MGM Resorts international, including at the Borgata in New Jersey. But it's affecting everyone, all the, all the MGM properties anywhere. They're checking people in with a clipboard. And now they're saying that it's due to a cybersecurity issue, and it's prompted this computer shutdown. They're apparently not able to take credit cards. It's a mess. It's led to the shutdown of some casino and hotel computer systems, it all began last Sunday, 
and the extent of this effect on reservation systems and casino floors in Vegas, in Maryland, in Massachusetts, in Michigan, in Mississippi, in New Jersey, in New York, in Ohio, it's not really clear. But it is, it's a mess. The Borgata's website and phone, li- phone lines were also down. Reservation cancellation and change fees are being waived uh, through Sunday. But it is a mess. So it looks like, I don't know if it was a hacker. It looks like it was a cyber attack. So it goes to show you a big, powerful, multi-billion dollar corporation like um, MGM They're just as susceptible to this kind of thing as we are, or as anybody is. So it's interesting. I'm going to um, I'm going to share this link. It's really quite a wild thing to see these casino hotels totally dark and see the lights go out like this. It's really peculiar. I'm going to share. uh, This is a scene in Vegas. I'm going to share it on my Facebook page at Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan if you want to. Take a look at uh, what it what it looks like. It's really, really interesting. All right. Um, we'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. I hope they're able to get this figured out in a hurry because it's a shame for all the people that work there and anybody that just wants to hang out there. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. Day. And uh, what a shame that she is no longer with us. All right, uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, a lot to get to. And uh, would, let me make an effort to get to everybody's calls who has uh, called in here, who's been waiting the longest. Joe is in Paramus. Hello, Joe. Hey, how are you? I'm hanging in there. Thanks. All right, so I turned the radio on about five minutes ago, and I heard the young lady talking about your air conditioner. Uh, 
what happened to the ignition? Did it get struck by lightning? Or I, I don't think it got struck there? by lightning, but, you know, there was a bad lightning storm, and all of a sudden, you know, we lost power for a second. Power came right back on. Everything was normal, except for the air conditioner, which is now beeping, and it's it has filter flashing, and it has the number 88 flashing on the display. And it's a window air conditioner. Window that, right? unit, yes. Yes. Yeah, so did you, has a filter been cleaned on it? Yes, filter's fine. And does it have a surge protector built into the plug at the end of it? It looks that way. Did you did you uh, reset the button on it? Yes. Plug it back in? Yes, I did. Now, uh, I, I did both while it was plugged in and while it was not plugged in. With the lightning storm, did, uh, did the air conditioner, you lost power, you said? For, for maybe a second or two. And did it turn back on or did it try to turn back on? Yes, it turns back on, but it stops after a second and then it beeps, turns off. Turns back on, beeps, turns off. It, it, it's on intermittently. Uh, my advice to you is definitely see if you can get it looked at, but it might cost you more to have it looked at than the actual damage that's uh, done to it. Um, right. I'll just go out and get another one. Yeah, that's what my wife said. That's what my wife yeah, said. Just, that's probably what we're going we're to end up doing. Yeah, that's that's the only reason why I called. I, I, I actually never called in before. I just heard it just now, and I, uh, I do that work on the side of my uncle, so I just wanted to call in and let you know... Uh, <laughs> my advice on it, but I would definitely get a new one. Well, Your wife's right. <laughs> thank you, Joe. We love having you as a first-timer, and I uh, hope you'll call again. Thanks, Joe. Love a good first-timer. Let, let me know they're a first-timer, Kenneth. We'll put them to the top of the queue. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in Original Jersey. Hello. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, two things. I got two fingers up, so first one finger goes down. Um, about the lady that got shot by the cop, she wouldn't turn her car off and started moving. It, it seems this happens quite a lot lately. And I, I've been wondering, what's, what's happened? Is it a cultural thing or is it, a, you know, the music situation is made where people don't comply with police. They confront them. You know, they refuse to put their hands down. They refuse to get out of the car. You see with cops have to pull and yank people out of the car. I would never, ever think of like, I'm not doing that. No, you can't make me do that. I mean, you know, you fight with the police in the court. I agree. Uh, Look, I completely agree, Rick. Well, what was your other point? Because we only have about a minute here. Okay. When Carmen grows up, are you going to have family dinners together? That was a big thing in, in the past and in my family, where you sat down at the dinner and the family talked for at least a half hour together. And it was like a bonding thing. It was very important. Are you going to do that? or is everyone yeah, just of course. Go to, no, oh, I mean, we do well, that no, already. You know, pe- well, okay. I'm glad you know that. I mean, most of, of the... People don't do that anymore, you uh, know? Well, no, no, of course. We, we do that already. I mean, a lot of the conversation involves uh, Carmine screaming and uh, throwing his food when he's done with it. And then him saying he wants to go down. And we say, no, you know, you have to stay here and, and wait until we're done. And he then screams until we relent most times. But so I'm not sure the level of the uh, of the conversation. All right. Uh, those of you that are holding, I'll get to you. And uh, I appreciate you listening. Until then, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, I'm not tired yet. Well, I'm not tired yet. Well, I'm not tired yet. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am superstar Frank Morano. A lot to get to. A lot to get to here. But uh, I don't know if we should go in order of priority or uh, some other order. But I'll give you an order of what I need to get done. So Thursday, I'm in this football pool. And so every Thursday, you know, I make my picks. And then whoever wins the most wins for the week. I did relatively well last week. I think I'm in third place overall. Whoever gets the most wins, they win a prize for that week. And then whoever gets the most wins at the end of the season, you win an even bigger prize at the end of the season. So I know a lot of you are under the mistaken impression that I know something about gambling or about football. I don't. But that doesn't stop me from participating in this pool gambling on football. So I am going to give you exclusively, I haven't told this to anybody, Frank's picks for your football pool. So, Or maybe you're in a sports betting situation. There's a plethora of sports betting websites and applications out there, one of whom should be sponsoring this segment. But in any event, if you want to know how to win big this weekend, listen and listen good. Here are your picks. Ready? Now, I want to make clear, I have made these selections with almost no knowledge of football whatsoever, and I'm going to take you through my methodology here. So Thursday night's game, tonight's game, the Eagles are seven-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Minnesota Vikings. So the... I am taking Minnesota because Minnesota elected Jesse Ventura as their governor in 1998. And I'm not going to go against a state that uh, elected Jesse Ventura. I am. Uh, then you look at Sunday's games. The L.A. Chargers are three and a half point underdogs to the Tennessee Titans. I am going with Tennessee because there are two stations in Tennessee that carry our radio show. WUCT in Nashville and the mighty 990 KWAM in Memphis. Very honored to be on both, so I'm taking Tennessee. I have, uh, I've always been a fan of the Brady Bunch, and there's this episode where Ralph, who's played by Donnie Most, who's great, who's been a guest on this show, we got to get back, he's terrific. Donnie Most gets into some gambling trouble, and I haven't seen the episode in 20, maybe 30 years. But there's just one scene, I remember it doesn't end well for Donnie, for uh, Ralph, but there's one scene in Arnold's where the words that Ralph Malf mouths, it, they just reverberate in the back of my brain. They're, the words that he says are, are you kidding? Green Bay can't lose. And I think of that phrase from Happy Days every single time I see the Green Bay Packers. So I am taking the Packers, who are one-and-a-half-point underdogs over the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Indianapolis is playing the uh, is playing Houston. I don't have a strong view of that game at all. 
But we have this nice lady, I think it's Marianne, who calls from Indianapolis from time to time. So I'll take Indianapolis in that game. This is the easiest pick that we've had all weekend. Detroit playing uh, Seattle. Detroit, five and a half point underdogs. But Detroit is the latest city to begin carrying our show on WFDF. So I'm taking Detroit. Tampa Bay is underdogs uh, to Chicago. I'm taking Chicago because I uh, I like the Chicago-style pizza more than the Tampa Bay-style pizza. Uh, Buffalo is playing the Raiders. I hate to go against the Raiders after Oscar Goodman was just on this show. But even though the Buffalo Bills are eight-and-a-half-point underdogs, they are New York's only football team. And I, as a taxpayer in the state of New York, just spent about a billion dollars, not just me, but I think a couple of other people as well, uh, for a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. And my view is if I'm going to be spending all this money for the Buffalo Bills to have a stadium, they may I may as well at least have a good team that I'm supporting with this kind of, cor- kind of corporate welfare. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus Jacksonville. I always liked the Chiefs. I, um, I loved Joe Montana years ago, and after Montana left the 49ers, he went to play for the Chiefs, and I, uh, always, li- and I always liked Elvis Gerback when he was the backup quarterback to Steve Young. He went to go then play for the Chiefs as well. So I've been rooting for the Chiefs because of Montana and Gerback for, you know, I guess, since the late 90s. Uh, So I'm taking the Chiefs over Jacksonville. Cincinnati is playing Baltimore. WCBM in Baltimore has been one of our greatest affiliates, and they have such great guys there. Sean Casey and uh, Kim Klasik is doing a great show there. Great on-air personalities, great behind-the-scenes personalities. I love WCBM and Baltimore, so I'm going with Baltimore there. Giants are playing Arizona. I have to go with the Giants. I am very fond of the, the Giants, and even though they're a New Jersey team, the fact that they once played in New York and they still call themselves the New York football Giants, I generally consider them the hometown team, so I have to go with them. Uh, San Francisco, seven and a half point underdogs to the Rams. I was always a 49ers fan as a child, so I still have a soft spot in my heart for the 49ers. The Jets are actually favored over Dallas by seven and a half points. And it's interesting that the Dallas Cowboys went from playing the Giants to now the Jets. I'm going with the Jets here. I feel terrible for them after what happened with Aaron Rodgers, so they're getting the sympathy vote. Denver is playing Washington. I hate that the Redskins changed their name to whatever they are now. I think it's ridiculous. I'm never supporting the Redskins for anything or the Commanders, I think they are, or whatever team, the Washington football team. I don't know. They change uh, They change names more frequently than I'm changing socks. Uh, so I'm going with Denver so, solely to go against Washington. Uh, Miami is playing New England. You know, there's something about this Miami mayor, Francis Suarez, that I don't like. Maybe it's the fact that everyone's going on and on about how handsome he is. But uh, there's some shady stuff going on with his donations to different things or his income. Also, I, I'm very, uh, I'm a little leery of where he is in the crypto sphere. So uh, because I'm suspicious of this mayor, Francis Suarez, and I'm tired of everyone saying how handsome he is, I'm going with New England in that game. Uh, New Orleans versus Carolina. I absolutely cannot stand all of these New Orleans football fans that feel the need to say who dat incessantly. I I find it to be the most irritating thing in all of football. And the fact that these idiots call themselves who dat nation, 
I mean, who dat? Dat is someone that uh, couldn't afford hooked on phonics, okay? I am always rooting against the Saints unless they're playing Washington. So uh, I'm going with Carolina there. And uh, I also don't have a strong feeling in this Monday night game of uh, Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. However, I did really like Burt Reynolds. He was one of my favorite actors. And Burt Reynolds was on a TV show called Evening Shade. And on that TV program, he played for uh, Pittsburgh. So because of my fondness for Burt Reynolds, I'm going with Pittsburgh there. So those are my picks, and those would be the picks that make you a lot of money. Minnesota, Tennessee, Green Bay, Indianapolis, Detroit, Chicago, Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore, the Giants, the 49ers, the Jets, Denver, New England, Carolina, Pittsburgh. Now, with that similar methodology, I got... I, I finished second last week. I got 11 total points last week. Not bad. The guy that won got 14. So I was actually finished second. That's not bad. So if you want to do well in your football pool, like, look, I finished second out of 25 players, 26 players. It's pretty good. So that's how you do it. That is how you do it. Kenneth, you have any uh, any evaluation of, uh, of my picks for this weekend's games? I mean, they're all picks based on... Uh... You know your little personal preferences. Well, why but, don't you uh, why don't you make some picks and we'll see who does well, better? Well, all right, maybe I will. All right, so you come up with your picks and we'll compare notes on uh, on Tuesday morning. <laughs> all right, sounds good. All right, but but in general, what was your, I didn't mean to interrupt your criticism. What no, was no, it? no, I liked it overall. You you really have no uh, no true preference on the Browns Steelers game? No, no, nothing I don't. at well, all. Do you, which, do you have a preference? I mean, the, first of all, in terms of the odds, they're about even. It's only a point and a half separating them. Yeah. So no, I don't have his preference. I mean, I guess I'd go Cleveland just because I think Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett of the Steelers. So I think the Browns will beat him in that one, but nah, we'll see. Nah, so. you got to go with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Burt Reynolds <laughs> Good in old evening Bert. shade. Absolutely. He would not steer me wrong. All right, 800-848-9222. A lot of you have been holding. I'm going to try and get to as many of you as we can here. Uh, let me begin with Stormin' Norman in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Hey, Frank. Um, originally, I was going to tell you to get the manual for for this air conditioning problem, but this is a this is a very insidious air conditioner. It's flashing the number eighty eight. That's correct. Well, that that is a your air conditioner is a white supremacist. <laughs> Why is that a white supremacist thing? Yeah, it has something to do with Hitler. Um, the neo Nazis um, they they love that eighty eight. They write it on things, and it, it has something to do with the Nazi party or Hitler's birthday or something or other. You can Google it and find out. I'm not exactly certain, but that's uh, your air conditioner is a white supremacist, and you have to get rid of it. You, wow. you can't have that influence in your family. Well, well, thank you. You know, it is interesting. Um, there are some connections with the Nazis and GE, apparently. They're GE's royalties, and this is a GE air conditioner. GE, I'm, you know, I'm not joking here. GE's royalties indirectly subsidized the Nazis. General Electric cabled from Berlin, and there's there's a lot of alleged connections here um, between GE and the Nazis. There's a whole article: war, fascism, and and General Electric. Could this Code. I didn't program the code. GE did. And you could look it up. Could this code 
be kind of that tip and the tip of the hat to the Nazi history. I don't know. Why would they pick 88? I don't know. Dan Quayle fans excited that that's the year he got elected vice president. I don't know. 800-848-9222. You know what else today is? Today is the birthday of Clayton Moore. Matt Blaze, who is Clayton Moore? Your barber? No, my barber is is affectionately known as as Pop, but his Christian name is Lou. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't know who Clayton Moore is? No idea. Did you ever watch The Lone Ranger? I did. Okay, Clayton Moore is The Lone Ranger. Oh. All right. Well, you don't seem impressed with that. No. No, okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, those of us that care about The Lone Ranger, this is a big day for us because it was on this day in 1914 that Clayton Moore, Jack Clayton Moore, actually Jack Carlton Moore was his original name, but everyone called him Clayton Moore, was born in 1914, and he died at the ripe old, in Chicago, by the way. All the more reason, I'm glad, uh, all the more reason I'm glad I took the, the Bears over Tampa Bay in honor of Clayton Moore. Today would have been his birthday. He uh, died in Los Angeles. This was uh, a great guy. He was was a model and an actor. He wrote a great book called I Was That Masked Man. He served in uh, the, uh, the military during World War II. And um, from 1949 until really the rest of his life, he was associated with the Lone Ranger. And even after he stopped doing the the television show, he would still dress up as the Lone Ranger and do personal appearances. And he in he did basically 40 years of personal appearances as the Lone Ranger from 1958. See, 1949 he started as the ghost of Zorro. But they created the Lone Ranger, and they thought he looked so good with that eye mask. They said, we'll make him the Lone Ranger. So from 1958 until he died in the 90s, he was doing personal appearances as the Lone Ranger, including Lone Ranger restaurants in Southern California, TV guest spots, classic commercials as the Lone Ranger. It's kind of like the Ultimate Warrior. You know, does anybody know the Ultimate Warrior as Jim Helwig? Very few people do. In fact, in 1979, the guy who owned the Lone Ranger character obtained a court order prohibiting Moore from making future appearances as the Lone Ranger. But uh, Jack Rather, who owned the Lone Ranger character, was in the process of making a new film version of the story, and he believed that Clayton Moore's public appearances in character would undercut the value of the character in the film and also advance any rumors that the 65-year-old would be playing the title role, which he did not. Well, this move was a disaster. Clayton Moore responded by filing a countersuit and then slightly changed his costume. <laughs> he replaced the domino mask with a pair of Foster Grant wraparound sunglasses and uh, participating in the company's Who's That Behind Foster Grant's ad campaign. The public was strongly in favor of Clayton Moore. How could you not be? This guy seemed like such a great guy. I'll give you one example. 
We all know who uh, Jay Thomas is. Uh, Jay Thomas was one of these people that had a terrific career as a radio DJ and then as a talk show host and as an actor. As an actor, he was in a lot of great movies, including uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. I think he was in Primary's Colors, but did a great amount of work on television. He was terrific on Murphy Brown. He was great on Cheers, great on Ray Donovan towards the end of his life, great on um, a whole bunch of shows, uh, a show called Inc. with Ted Danson. He was a terrific actor. And many years ago, I think in the 1980s, Jay Thomas, unfortunately, who I knew a little bit, not well, but um, he, I got to speak with him many times over the years because both John Gambling and Joe Piscopo, who I worked with, were very good friends with him. He passed away due to cancer, and uh, he was really just a great guy and a great wit, Jay Thomas. But in the, I think it was the 80s, Jay Thomas was a guest on David Letterman's television show, which at that time was on Channel 4, NBC in New York, but NBC around the country. He told a story on that episode of David Letterman, which at the time was The Late Show. David Letterman decided, and this is not my words, this is David Letterman's words. David Letterhuman, got to be PC now, decided that this was the greatest story ever told in the history of television talk shows. So he did something with Jay Thomas that I don't know that he'd ever done with anybody. He invited Jay Thomas back every Christmas to tell that same story. And even though it's not Christmas, it is Clayton Moore's birthday. And since the story involves Clayton Moore, I thought it might be worth going back in time. I don't know what year this is from, but almost any year, and they're almost all on the YouTube, almost any year you look at, the story goes a little something like this. When I was a, a young disc jockey, I would open up uh, car dealerships and I would do the remote, which you did remote, too yeah. as a DJ and as a weatherman and all let's, that. Let's go to, to Jay let's, Thomas yeah, now. Uh, come on Ford. out to the Dodge right. dealer. It was Dodge. And yeah. so the Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore, uh, was working for that uh, company and he would come to the various dealerships and little kids would come. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who played the Lone Ranger. The real television. Lone Ranger. Right. And he was very much into being the Lone Ranger. He wore the outfit, he wore the mask, he had the guns, he had the hat, and he was into being the Lone Ranger. So I get there and I'm telling people to come out and the Lone Ranger is there and it's not a high point in my career. I, mm-hmm. I don't know where my life is going. I have long uh, frizzy hair and I'm a disc jockey and my buddy Mike Martin uh, who was in the record business and who looked sort of like a Bay City roller. He had the long, long hair and the stacked heels and tight pants, and he would come. See, now that's a new point. I haven't heard that. You know, I was just realizing yeah, that. I've the, never, you never described him as a Bay City roller. He looked like a Bay City roller, yeah. and he would do like this with his hair oh, all yeah. the time, right? Yeah. So, and so he would come, and we would get herbed up during the performance. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Oh, it's nice, nice that your boys are here for that. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, his son called him and says, Dad, you smoked pot? <laughs> and so 
So we would go behind the dumpster, you know, right to, I'd do it at the end of the performance. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, you know, ruin the car sales. And so we got <laughs> completely loaded and we come out and no one was there to pick up the Lone Ranger to take him back to the, to the red carpet inn mm -hmm. on Moorhead Street. So he looked very uncomfortable. I had an old beat up Volvo. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, uh, Mr. Moore, you know, can I give you a ride home? He says, well, sure. So still, we get the still lone, in the Lone Ranger suit. We, in the Lone Ranger, we get him in the backseat of the Volvo. Mike and I, we can barely see the road. We get onto the thing, <laughs> and we're driving like this in the Lone Ranger. We're being really quiet. The Lone Ranger is in the backseat. Mike's, you know, doing like this, you know, checking his hair. And, and we're trying not to look stoned is the other thing we're trying to do. So, like, so we get in uh, 5 o'clock traffic, and some guy is, is upset that we're on this Independence Boulevard. He's upset that it's all jammed. He backs, and it's a Buick, and it's a middle-aged man, I'll never forget him, and, and he backs into my car, and I can hear my headlight cr crunch. Oh, no. And he pulls out, and he turns off like this. Well, I go, that guy crashed into me. So I get into Volvo, and I gun the thing, and we're chasing a guy through Charlotte, North Carolina, and the Lone Ranger's in the back seat, <laughs> emotionless, emotionless, just in the back seat like this, back and forth, and the mask and the whole thing. So <laughs> we're, we're, I'm in the Volvo, and so finally I gun it you know and it gets right in front of the Buick and I pull off and Mike and I jump out and I go man you crashed into my car and he gets out he says no I didn't I said yes you did you backed into me and you broke my car and he says well what do you want I said I'm gonna call the cops I'm gonna call a cop he says oh really well who do you think they are gonna believe you two hippie freaks or me and the Lone Ranger gets out from the Volvo <laughs> <laughs> They'll believe me, citizen. <laughs> and the guy goes, the guy goes, I didn't know it was you. <laughs> and that's a true story. There you go. <laughs> I never get tired of the Lone Ranger. I love that. I believe me. That story is absolutely terrific. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. We'll try and get to as many of your calls as we can. Gnome's Laden. Gnome Laden's got some news that you can use. We'll tell you about it straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. As we do every morning at this time, it is always a treat to get a download of the news from Mr. Noam Layden. Hello there, Noam. Good morning, Frank. What's going on? So yesterday there was this high-profile meeting with Vladimir Putin and uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And uh, it looks like Russia is asking Kim Jong-un for military help, which is his whole story in itself sure. that they need that yeah. military We're gonna help. We're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade about that in a From minute, North right? Korea, which is a little crazy. But the moment that everybody seemed to be watching was during this summit, there was video of the two of them sitting together. And if you look at Vladimir Putin, who is now 70 years old, he is lifting and twisting his foot from side to side before setting it down and doing it over and over, and it looks to be involuntary movements. And there's been all these word over the last couple of years that there's something going on with him. Maybe it's MS, um, maybe it's something else, but this is more indication that something is going on with him. You know, normally sometimes you sit, you twist your foot, no big deal. But if you watch this video, it is definitely involuntary. And at moments, it even looks like he's trying to take his other leg and trying to hide what is going huh. on. Interesting that this video was released because you can't miss it when you watch it. Did you watch it? I did. And and this was your conclusion? Yeah, yeah. Something's going on there. So what are, what are the theories about what kind of situation this could be? Restless leg syndrome? No, I think it's people think it's something bigger than that. Really? Yeah. Well, what could do that? What sort of neurological... You MS. You could have Parkinson's. Really? Parkinson's would do that. Wow. Right? I mean, there's a fair amount of diseases uh, I could come up with. I do feel, though, that you know every both of these guys, because they're so unpopular in the West... Every time they lift their right arm, everyone says, yeah. oh, OK, well, that shows you he's dying of cancer. You know, yeah. I remember when Trump met with Kim Jong-un, uh, they had <laughs> doctors on Fox analyzing how Kim Jong-un was breathing right. and whether whether he was <laughs> deathly ill or right. not. I mean, and sure enough, six years later, he's he's still fine. But how did Kim and it was Kim Jong-un's foot movements normal? They or? seem to be no, uh, normal. Um, uh, he still seems to have the same barber that he's had for years. He, he's got my barber. I get that. That, the same you like style that haircut? haircut? I do. I do. <laughs> well, it looks good on you just like oh, it looks good on him. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. In uh, you know, Ukraine, uh, of course, is fighting this uh, year-long battle with Russia. And these Ukrainians who have been, uh, you know, they didn't volunteer. They had to go to the army. So you have these Ukrainian tank operators who have some downtime. I mean, not a lot of it when you're fighting a war. <laughs> and so what do they do during their downtime? They've all seemed to have downloaded this really popular app that's called World of Tanks. So you would think if you were operating a tank all day, the last thing you'd (laughs) want to do is play a video game about tanks. But apparently it is an addiction. The New York Times writing about this saying that it seems every tank operator in Ukraine has downloaded this game. And it's essentially what they're doing in real life. They're trying to take down armies and drones and people. But now during their downtime, they're all pulling out their phones. And when they're not messaging girlfriends and wives back home, they're playing World of Tanks. That's amazing. It's like us playing a a radio video game. Right. Which, That's wild. That could be kind of fun. It maybe. could be. Yeah. yeah. Is there a radio video game? We should come sure up there with a, Yeah, there you go. Let, we'll, let, let's put that on our list of money-making opportunities <laughs> after that Spotify situation. And that Netflix uh, uh, um, uh, protest. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We have a full day ahead of us. I got one more for you. Sure. 
So comedian Bill Maher wants to bring back his show to HBO. I saw that. I hope it does uh, come back. It is. Love that show. It is coming back. He says, uh, we're going to come back without the writers. If you haven't been following this story, the Writers uh, Guild of America, SAG-AFTRA, have been on strike. A Writers Guild is like five or six months now. There's no sign that they're coming back. It's over money and profits from streaming services. And so this is the most fascinating thing is Bill Maher will come back without writers. So we're going to find out whether he's really funny or not. He know We know he knows how to deliver and mm-hmm. land a joke, if you like him anyway. You know he can deliver a joke. But the question is, can he write one? And we're going to find out because he opens his show. If you haven't seen the HBO show, it's, it's a, sort of a two-part show. One is a long monologue at the beginning of the show. And the second part is more like a talk show. So that he could pull off where he brings in opposing views and they sit around a table and chat about the topics of the day. But will he be able to write his own monologue? I, I, uh, I think I, I think he will. You know, he does this this podcast that I do watch called Club Random, where which is totally unscripted. And he comes across as pretty amusing in that. Obviously, it's different than when he's not delivering jokes, right. as is usually the format there. But I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Is that this weekend? Uh, I don't know that it starts this weekend, but he said the show is going to resume. I think Real Time is uh, one that starts in October, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, the the issue is, I mean, it's bigger than that, is that people are going hungry, right? If you're not right. the people on the Writers Guild, for sure, are going hungry, people sag after. But then you think about all the people connected to just a talk show like Real Time with Bill Maher. You have the makeup people, the people behind the scenes, the production staff. All those people are unemployed unless they start the show up and, again. And uh, I have a friend who has a, a food truck business. All, he has seen a tremendous decline in his revenue because he was catering a lot of these film and TV sets. Yeah, so. we've been talking to this one caterer who does a lot of the movie sets and the TV shows here, uh, Law and Order, that kind of thing. He's hurting. He said he oh, had to let imagine. go of his uh, workers because, no, I... uh, you know, there's no catering business. Well, thank you, Noam Lady. Sure. Appreciate that. Another fella that does a remarkable job often without the assistance of writers is someone that's uh, capable of writing a thing or two himself, including a few New York Times bestsellers. He's also the co-host of Fox and Friends, a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, and the host of uh, One One Nation with Brian Kilmeade Saturday nights on the Fox News Channel, which is just killing it in the ratings. He's kind enough to spend some time with us every Thursday morning. Brian, it's good to talk to you. What's going on, Frank? Brian, I have been eager to ask you the question, what are you more upset about, Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers or Putin and Kim Jong-un in this alliance to sell weapons to one another? How much time do I have? <laughs> um, um, number one, it was pointed out to us brilliantly yesterday by Douglas Murray. He says it's pathetic to take the poorest country in the world and have a theatrical shaking of hands for 40 seconds. This is this is a country that is starving its people to death with the most reviled leader in the world and says, hey, let's reaffirm relations. And Douglas Murray actually told me he was probably the only Westerner ever at a North Korean military parade. He says, if you could see the quality of their equipment, it is pathetic, even though they have a small nuclear program and it should... Be, you, know, you should be worried about it. You do not want to do a deal with North Korea. So it shows how few friends they have. But what Vladimir Putin could do is share with them technology, which could have the whole world on edge because the guy's got no moral compass, obviously, doesn't mind killing everybody, including his uncle with a fighter jet. So 
I, I think there was, I'm more worried about what he says is 400,000 people he's going to mobilize to add to his fighting force. I don't know if he has it, but if Putin puts 400,000 people, reluctant, untrained, got it, into the theater, that could change things because Ukraine is making progress right now. And uh, speaking of worried, I'm a little worried about this voice of yours. You have six hours of broadcasting ahead of you today. What what happened? you have a cold or is this overuse? Um, I'm not really sure. It's getting stronger every day. All right. Well, uh, there's um, uh, throat coat is a uh, a tea that I swear by, which works wonders. What? um, Give me your take on the Aaron Rodgers situation. I'm just looking at his, I'm looking right now at his comments, and, you know, he he is devastated. He says he's not done, he's going to come back. Uh, he says it's always darkest before dawn. And if you watched Hard Knocks, you know that he is ingrained with that team. He, he You know he's not just phoning it in, looking for a quick paycheck. I, I think that he was on the redemption tour for people to get to know the new Aaron Rodgers, the real Aaron Rodgers. And the way New York said, you're the perfect guy at the perfect time. He saw the young talent this team had. He saw the ability they had in the offense, even though they have a terrible line right now. And he thought, I'd love to lead these guys. So instead of people wondering, what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers? Why is he so insolent? Why is he uh, so out there? People are saying, hey, I love this guy. So uh, it all happened. It ended, what was the cover of the New York Post? Uh, The Aaron Rodgers era, four minutes. It really was. I mean, four plays, four minutes, and he was done. So, are, so do I do think, think the I do still think the Jets are a playoff team. Still, even with uh, Zach Wilson, I do. I, hope I mean, so. there was a reason why this guy was the number two pick overall. And I know Gary Myers was saying to us earlier this week, it was the pandemic year. They really didn't have a chance to try out these guys. They only really knew Trevor Lawrence. But I do think that Wilson's got some fundamental talent, and I think that Rodgers has made a real impact on him. And he took the pressure off him. So so if this guy can look off a receiver once in a while and use his arm and his feet, which he can use, and then remember, when Vinny Testaverde had problems his whole career because he had all this talent but wasn't able to execute, Bill Parcells came in and said, we're just going to give this guy two reads, all plays. Let's, let's simplify the playbook. And they were in the NF- the AFC Championship game. And they were about to maybe go to the Super Bowl until he tore his, get this, Achilles tendon oh, in 1999. Boy. Wow. So I do think there's some precedent there. Uh, that's uh, that's wild. Well, I'd love to see the Jets still make the playoffs. That would, uh, that would be great. All right. Um, let me ask you about uh, the news yesterday that uh, Willard Mitt Romney is not going to be running for re-election. Uh-huh. Uh, he kind of... Threw some shade at both President Biden and President Trump out the door, saying he's too old and it's time for a new generation of leaders. He, by the way, is younger than uh, than Biden and Trump. Give me your take on this Romney announcement. It's interesting. I mean, he is older. He says, you know, I think he gave some wise remarks. He says, if I knew I was going to be as uh, vibrant as Chuck Grassley, I might feel differently. He does think he wants a new generation of leaders. We've talked about that. Everybody's talked about that. And for him to throw shade at Trump is not a surprise. For for him to say he is basically giving a message to Biden, join the club. Dave Ignatius did it yesterday because Joe Biden is not Chuck Grassley. Joe Biden is not Mitt Romney. I mean, there's only four years difference between them. I don't think anyone thinks Mitt Romney's too old. 
They just think that it's a new generation. You go to an AI meeting and you don't know what the hell they're talking about. That makes you think to yourself, you know, maybe we need a 37-year-old in there. And I get it. So I think he's right. He's got, he's got more money than God. He's 76 years old. He's got, I think, two dozen grandchildren. He's got six kids, seven kids. He's got five houses minimum. Why would you want to go back and forth in the Senate? And then even if the, the guy from your party becomes president, they hate each other if it is Trump. So you're probably going to have no influence. And right now, you could be as a spoiler when you decide to go with a Democrat. So, I, you know, I get it. Yeah, I, I am uh, maybe a little bit more cynical. I, I think this is largely the same decision he made when he decided not to run for uh, re-election as governor of Massachusetts, which I don't think he was going to get re-elected. And uh, I, obviously, you know, oh. it was uh, I think that's guiding at least part of the decision here. Hey, uh, speaking of another senator that's making quite a bit of news, Tim Scott, who you've interviewed, you had him on uh, last week. Great interview. He is apparently pushing the RNC to change the qualifying and podium placement rules for the upcoming presidential debates. He's calling for more emphasis on polls in early voting states rather than national polls. You obviously uh, you work for Fox, which is hosting the next debate on September 27th. What do you make of uh, Tim Scott's candidacy in general at this point and this sort of move that he's making to uh, change the qualifying and the podium placement for the debate? A couple of things. Tim Scott's got to make news. The best thing to happen to Tim Scott is when Barack Obama attacked him. You got to find a way. Like Vivek Ramaswamy helped Nikki Haley uh, and and Mike Pence. You know, Ron DeSantis needed not to make news. You know, he's a solid number two. But Tim Scott needs to, in in a way, you know, be attacked. You know, being you know, go ahead and do the the old standby. He's a sellout to his race, and then let him tell his story. Like, he had an opportunity when Vivek said, everybody up here on this stage except me has been bought and sold. And here's a guy that was born up literally in a one-room house uh, with him, his brother, his grandmother, his grandfather, and his mom in, in the most dilapidated situation you could possibly imagine. That would have been the moment for him to say, as, as Kamala said, I was that little girl. And we still talk about that one moment that she had, and she's had none since. But he needs one of those. Because right now he's very biographical-driven. He's got to get into the policy in a way that's going to make headlines. I think he's a solid number two. I have not seen him surge in the polls like we've seen Haley surge. And right now, Trump seems to be untouchable. And I think that's why his internals say he doesn't really have to campaign right now. And it's interesting, Kellyanne Conway came out and said, you know, it's expensive to run a rally. He goes, you know, the security that he needs, the transportation back and forth, the people that got to get there, uh, the insurance that you need to hold a rally. It's not worth it for Trump to do it. Tim Scott's got to do something that gets Trump out. You know, it's almost as if I'm not going to put my starters in if I'm win- winning by 45 points. But you close the gap, I'll get back in there. And I'm not sure Tim Scott's got that to do it. And I'm the biggest Tim Scott fan out there. The, um, you know, the Republicans in Congress appear to be moving forward with this impeachment inquiry. I think this is just 
a, a tremendous political mistake. Not only do you have a lot of Republicans in states like New York that are uh, representing purple districts, which this is going to be hung all over them, but um, obviously we know where this is going given the composition of the Senate. I mean, I, I think you probably have a different view. Uh, how do you see this playing out, Brian? Well, I would say this. You know, I, I flip around a lot, listen to Dan Abrams last night, and he says, well, we found out that Joe Biden did know about the president's business dealings. He kind of fudged that. And we found out that not only that, you know, he probably knows that they discussed it before and probably knew details about it and probably knew the people he was in business with. So he fudged that. No, no, he lied about that. And then I see this study that uh, this other Quinnipiac poll, which I think we both agree, tend to be friendly to Democrats. This poll shows the American people think Joe Biden's lying, his greatest asset that he is. So there's a lot there. I think if it gives them additional subpoena power and puts some teeth in these requests, like the pseudonames, uh, those pseudonames that are sitting at the National Archives that have Hunter CC'd on international relations, why would you need Hunter CC'd on an email to Turkey? What is going on? So here, listen to this. New polls revealed about the American beliefs on Hunter. The Justice Department treatment of Hunter Biden has been 50% said not tough enough. Do you believe that Hunter Biden, do you believe that Hunter Biden, 44% did something illegal? 44% yes. 33% did something unethical, but nothing illegal. So they are getting, in the last eight months, the American people to understand this guy's got problems. And he is linked to Hunter. And he's already told you the laptop's not real. It's real. He lied. Do I know anything about Hunter's business dealings? Nothing. He lied. Do Was I involved in it? He said nothing. He was at business meetings golfing with his partners. We have uh, personal letters to De- uh, Devin Archer. Are you kidding me? How many more lies are we going to discover? And I, I think that if the Republicans can explain how they're being thwarted to getting the answers they need to tell this story, it will be worth it. Well, you know, I uh, I did catch a little bit of uh, Dan Abrams last night as well. I, I, I enjoy a lot of his uh, monologues, and uh, unlike some other shows he in primetime, he's kind enough to invite me on there once in a while, which I think is good. I just think, um, irrespective of everything that, uh, that you said, I just think politically it's going to be a tough road to hoe when they have such a narrow majority and these Republicans have to run for re-election in Biden uh, districts where they're going to be portrayed, even if they're not exactly the tip of the spear, including one of the guys you're interviewing today, Congressman Michael Lawler. I think they're, they're Gretchen Whitmer's sister who's running for that seat and uh, uh, Congressman, um, you know, the other Congressman Jamal Bowman that had uh, ha- occupied that seat previously. I think they're chomping at the bit to make that an issue in this campaign. We'll see where it goes, though. It's going to be interesting. Um, hey, you're interviewing one of my favorites, Arthur Brooks, today. That's going to be a lot of fun. Deep thinker. He did a book with Oprah. Uh, about how to basically have a better life. So uh, hopefully um, we're going to have him on the Sun, uh, the Saturday show, too. We'll let everybody's life get better when he's done. He's also a deep conservative thinker. He also wrote a book on happiness. He's a Ivy League professor. So um, I have to step up my game. Well, and, uh, you know, if there's one thing I want for you, it's uh, it's certainly uh, happiness. And he's got that new book with uh, with Oprah that seems definitely worth checking out. Brian, uh, take care of that voice. Thank you. 
Go get him, Frank. Thank you. The great Brian Kilmeade. See him on uh, Fox and Friends this morning. You can check him out on radio a little bit later. By the way, I misspoke um, a minute ago, and uh, I meant, I said it was uh, Jamal Bowman that was running against Michael Lawler. That's Mondaire Jones that is running against Michael Lawler. And the other thing, apparently I either misread or I was given a sheet that had inaccurate placings Everybody in the football picks earlier that I said was the favorite was is actually the underdog. So I said I think that Philly was the the underdog and Minnesota was the favorite. That's not the case. So Philadelphia is the favorite. So is the Chargers. So is Green Bay, Indianapolis, Detroit, Tampa Bay, Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, the Giants, San Francisco, Dallas, Denver, Miami, New Orleans, and Cleveland. So uh, I apologize. That's either my error Jesus or the Frank. or the error of uh, of the folks that uh, put this sheet on, together. Kenny. I want to wish, uh, in addition to it being Clayton Moore's birthday and um, my friend Amir Metri's birthday, I want to wish a very happy birthday to the former producer of this program, uh, Christian Arnold who did a great job as the producer of this program, and uh, he and I are still friends. I think now he's writing sports at the New York Post, and uh, unfortunately he was not able to get me his bumper music selections in time, but he remains a great guy, and uh, I hope all of his birthday wishes come true. So uh, hopefully that comes to pass. All right, um, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. Say whatever you like for 15 seconds, 800 848 9222 straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Singing The Other Side of Midnight, a terrific song, if ever there was one. No longer available on iTunes, I might add. So there's that. There's that. All right. um, We will give you an opportunity to say whatever you like for 15 seconds. Just call 800-848-9222. Have something pithy ready as we embark on... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Rusty. Yes, they're called asylum seekers because asylum leads to amnesty. 
and amnesty leads to voting rights. These friggin' morons. Robert. Frank, I texted you. Please text me a photo of the control panel of the AC and then call me after you get home. I can help you. We'll see. On electronic that. tech. Sky. Met the Lone Ranger at the Archie Museum. He signed several of his books for me. He was a great guy. I'm a retired lawman. Roger. Wow, two types of AC on your AC report tonight. Also, I didn't realize in some cultures it's not uncommon for a son to call a father by the first name. Sorry. Neil. To Elementary, you, Frank, and your family and your listeners, Donato Vah, have a happy and healthy New Year. Norman. Don't call me Norman. Call me Chubsy Ubsy. Hey, Fred, we want the Flory Dories. We want the Flory Dories. Ray. Hey, uh, Frank, check out the Mecklenburg Six uh, death row inmates escape back in 1984. You'll enjoy it. Thank you. I will. Bill. Hi, Silver. Hi. Eddie. Pivot and shift. Shuck and jive. Flip and flop, do the hokey pokey, and turn yourself around. Money, what is all about? Steve. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron, sizzle. E. Frank. Yes, Frank, uh, you're saying that we should not demonize the police. The police have to defend themselves, and I believe that the NYPD are knowledgeable of individuals who do bad things. Raji. If the illegals in New York are allowed to work, greedy supermarkets will fire 12-an-hour citizens uh, and hire illegals at $6 an hour. And Larry. Frank, if you're looking for filler for your show, why not call up Mike Lindell? His patented fill could give you at least two more hours. <laughs> that slams the lid on things for today. Frank Morano, good day.